Okay, well, Anne, how are you doing this week? You're how just are ignoring you... people for like four seconds there. Well, we can just cut that out. No. Really easy to cut out. No. You're just going to leave the silence? Yep. I need the room noise. Hello, silence, my old friend. Stop rubbing your if legs. I hold a note for long <laughs> enough, even though it's not really the note from the song, would that still be copyright infringement? No. Because if it's, hello, darkness, my old friend. No, because it wouldn't be anyway. No, because it's not actually the song. Yeah. If I was to remix a song so it was just a long holded, a long note held. It would be a song by Sano. Anyway. <laughs> and what do we do? Who are we? Hmm. All right. You refuse to do the intro. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're Chris Apocalypse. Uh, That's Spike. <laughs> Fighting so much. You just put pepperoni <sighs> pizza in me. That's your fault. I just burped. Um, we are a bi-weekly podcast. Buy a lot of things. <laughs> it's not wrong. Weekly, one of them. <laughs> bi-weekly podcast about stuff and things. We we speak mostly about nerdy shit, so it's like video games, movies, TV, but sometimes we branch out, sometimes we do other stuff. Um, and any news that you're excited about this week? What? Any news no, you're excited about? I don't about? fucking look at news. No? I think it's hilarious how much wrestling nerds are getting upset about Ronda Rousey. Oh yeah, saying that it's all fake fighting. Yeah, we knew no, that. Yeah, no, it's just it's more that she said fuck those fans, and I'm like, yeah, because wrestling fans are the worst fandom out there. They did not treat her well when she was part of that organization either. Mm-hmm. They put her on the main events of everything. Well, no, no, I don't mean that the organization treated her fine, but the uh, the fans were horrible about the her. The fans are horrible to everyone. That's yeah, the thing with wrestling. They're they're yeah, terrible but some to everyone. Some people deserve it, like Roman Reigns, and other people don't like like Brock Lesnar. No, it's just who was who was the guy who beat his girlfriend. Um, the Stone guy. Cold Steve Austin no pretty much all of the wrestlers beat their girlfriends yeah. don't they when you think about it uh, except for The Rock that good old wholesome gent The Rock just cheats on his girlfriends just cheats on them yeah, yeah. Um, no it was oh god um, Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan doesn't beat his girlfriend he beat his girlfriend up like a couple of years ago no he doesn't yeah like seriously beat not her up not Daniel Bryan Daniel yeah. Bryan is like Daniel Bryan beat his girlfriend wholesome up. good guy um Daniel Bryan, honestly, no. I, I remember it because I liked Daniel Bryan. He was one of the wrestlers that I liked just because um, uh, Daniel Bryan is... No, Daniel Bryan's like squeaky clean, super good guy. He's all vegan and friggin'... Well, he's vegan now, isn't he? Well, he's... Oh, yeah, 2012, he beat his girlfriend up. I don't think so. Yeah. You sure that wasn't a storyline on the show? No, no, he assaulted his girlfriend in 2012. Yeah, Brian suffered... Uh, uh, he successfully defended himself against claims, but yeah, she was really hurt. Mm. Yeah. Uh, championship. I think you're looking at weird wrestling sites again. Wikipedia. Are you even getting on with anything? Uh, you're just staring at your phone. That's not a podcast. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, wrestling in general is an exciting thing. Um, that's not really that's not really the news I was aiming at. But yeah, no, tell us more about Ronda Rousey. What Do you know the I actual... Do what? I don't give a shit. No, but I mean, like, I, I know Ronda Rousey from MMA. I don't know her from from wrestling, because I didn't watch any of it. You I know, know her she wore from a Expendables 3. Yeah, I know from Expendables 3. <clears throat> when she was flirting with Antonio Bandiaris. Everyone was... I, I have this theory that everyone's bisexual for Antonio Bandiaris. Because he is so handsome and so charming. Hmm. I don't really... I can't even, like... Have you seen his first English-spoken film? Which is that um, weird Woody Harrelson comedy about them being boxers on the road together to go to a fight that they're going to have. 
Was it? There's like they're like friends and they go on a road trip to get to the Desperado be before that. No, no, I think this was his first. Oh god, stop looking at your phone. Shit, sorry, sorry. But anyway, it's one of those really early ones. Get on with it's it's one of the films that he learnt a lot of the English phonetically. Mm. <clears throat> it was a, it's actually a really good film. It's early Woody Harrelson as well, so it's like Money Train Woody Harrelson. Money Train is like 1996. 94. Yeah. White Men Can't Jump, 92. 94. No, White Men Can't Jump is like 94. That's what I said. He said 92. Money Train is 96, yeah. And Desperado is before all of them. Desperado is so good, isn't it? Mm. But anyway, Antonio Banderas. I think everyone's a little bit by for Antonio Banderas. I really like him in Expendables 3. He's the highlight of that film. Um, I love the idea that he starts out being sort of almost the comic comic relief, and then he's the only one to have an actual backstory of any of the Expendables, even the main cast. Wesley Snipes has a backstory. He was in Just, prison. Yeah, he talks about being in prison for tax evasion. Yeah, Antonio Banderas. It starts out. I mean, I don't know how much you remember. And Expendables there's that 3. bit part way through it when they realise they got the wrong Hemsworth. And I don't. And know, they kill him. Yeah, they kick him in the chest with a knife. And they're just like, damn. Oh, hang on. Nah, that's the wrong like, one. I, I've watched all the Expendables films. I'm not a huge fan of them. They're all sort of third like The third one's the only good one. Well, the third one, isn't that the one with Mel Gibson? I can't remember. No, that's the Van Damme one, isn't it? Van Damme and Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson's in the second one. Is he in the second? No, he's in the third one. The third one's hilarious anyway. Yeah, the third one's hilarious. But um, but Antonio Banderas starts out there like, oh, we're here to get this this guy that's meant to be amazing and all this other stuff. And then in, in, in one of the most extravagant setups for any interview I've ever seen, he careens down the top of this building, sliding on all these things and flipping over, wearing a mask on his face, and then lands at the bottom. And obviously, that's the stunt guy. And then he lands at the bottom and Antonio Banderas removes the mask. He's like, hey... I'm Antonio Banderas and I'm 52. And I look at that and I go, I've just come. How is he 52? He looks so much younger, but through the whole thing, he's the one cracking jokes and bringing on an energy where everybody else is sort of like quite po-faced and dour. And I know that The Expendables, they touched on drama in the second one where there was that woman who went, please, Sylvester Stallone, this man, though he's evil, feeds our village and brings prosperity in a way that we wouldn't have seen in any other way. Yes. No, there's a second one. The third one when they got the village that's no, all it's the second prestige. One. No, because it's the third one. It's the second one where they have... That's um, the one with Banderas in it. No, it's the second one because it's the one with the Chinese actress and it's also the one where they have... Who's the old dude? Chuck Norris. He he cameos in it. So you're wrong. I know my Expendables. But the second one, this woman goes, our village, this man, despite being evil, has has somehow reinvigorated the, the economy and although there are bad people, the bad people and what they do kind of means that we can survive and then Sylvester Stallone's like I will kill him <laughs> and she's like it's like I understand that but there's an economic like distress yeah. that you're caused to our environment and we need to make sure that if you are going to kill this person and create a power vacuum you at least offer the support that would mean that we can survive and Sylvester Stallone goes I killed the guy <laughs> and flies off in his big plane with, with um You probably left him some vouchers or something. <laughs> flies off in his big plane that um who is it? Um <laughs> Oh for fuck's sake. My mind is going blank. The English actor who's in Jason Statham. Jason Statham has a little hatch at the top <laughs> that you can look out of and steer as a l- Oh god, it's That's so the crap. action feature for So the- crap. Um But yeah, I had some news. I actually had some news, Capcom news, it's yeah. all like it's all going crazy. Who um, cares about news? I just, just quickly, just oh. to touch on this and get your opinion of this. So, Capcom, um, when they released the code for Resident Evil 3 for the demo, someone data mined it 
and they found that there were loads of um, inputs for Nintendo Switch. <sighs> so it has things like the Switch eShop and things like that are all linked into the code. And obviously they don't do that if it's not something they've been actively seeking. There are... It could just be in there anyway, so it's just hooks. Well, no, there's some people that say that originally that was an intention for it to come out on the Switch, if they yeah, get they the technology working. Development. It's Pardon? just hooks. There'll be hooks that are already built into it from the beginning, and then if they're going to use them, they'll switch them on. Well, that's kind of the thing. The no RE engine hasn't been used on any Switch games yet. No, they did... Um... They did Resident Evil 7 in Japan, and they've mm. got Resident Evil 5 and 6 that have recently streaming. been released. But yeah, Japan, it was a streaming function for Resident Evil 7. Apparently it worked really well, like, yeah. over there, but obviously our internet is dog shit compared to theirs. Um, same with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It was like really, really well. But anyway, there's there's that, and there's also now they've confirmed they're working on a Resident Evil Four, Resident Evil Four remaster. They haven't confirmed it. Yeah, they have. Capcom recently said that they they are actively no, in development. Rumors that no, they're doing they said they're actively it. developing no Capcom thing. You getting rumors? No, confused look, they're with actively moves. developing Resident Evil Four, a remaster for 2021 after Resident Evil Eight is complete. Resident Evil Eight, there's been some leaks about what that's about. So. These are leaks and rumours, so I will acknowledge yeah. that, but Resident Evil 8... Then it's not confirmed, then. There are there are hints at it being about witches, being about coven, being about, um, mm. you know, sort of gothic horror again. Yeah. Um, but there's no announcement of where it will take place. I don't know if it's going to be small-time America again, like Resident Evil 7 was. Um, but yeah, that's exciting stuff, right? Capcom are back on the right nah. track. They're back on doing good things. Nah, not exciting. We've had, like, what, four years of really good Capcom? Yeah. Yeah, that's good, right? I don't know, is it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean I mean like in terms of in terms of the companies that I'm most invested in, Capcom are the ones that make the make Resident Evil, which is the IP that I'm probably most invested in. You're really into Bionic Commando. Yeah, yeah, which I actually did play not, through. Not rearmed the No, I know, I played through the three D Bionic Commando and it was bad. It was a bad game. You loved that game. You kept it saying about how much game. you loved it. Although, oddly enough, I remember it getting really good reviews at release. No, no I didn't. Did it get really no, bad reviews? Yeah. yeah, I I hated it. But I hated it mostly because it was it was a game that used web slinging. Oh, knocking things over. Sorry, I'll move over there. <clears throat> it was a game that used ostensibly web slinging, but couldn't get the web slinging mechanics right ten years after Spider-Man Two. Madness. Yeah, look at you having a good time. All right, Ant. Well, let's get on with the review, shall we? You no. Don't want to talk about shit? No. No. What do you want to do? What do you want to do instead? I'm probably gonna fight in a minute. All right. Is there anything that's happened that you are? You said about Ronda Rousey. Um, should we talk about the Cybertron pilot <laughs> that there was? It wasn't a pilot. It was a pilot. I was trying to explain it to you. It's a proof concept. It's and one they of those things. It's a great concept, and then went with it. Do you think there's an alternate timeline where we got a Cybertron instead of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? It wasn't Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. VR Troopers. That was made after Power Rangers mm. already started. Because that was like just they just did that. They went, "Hey, Jason David Frank, can you stand here and say these words?" And he was like, hilarious. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Yeah, he's hilarious. Jason David Frank ad libbed that. Did he? Yeah. You know what? I need to give him props for his comedy time. Yeah. He's really good. Because right after someone fell over, that's when he said it. He didn't fall over. The girl judo flipped him. Oh, that's true. Right when she judo flipped. Yeah. Was it Jamie Kennedy? No, Jamie Kennedy is a separate thing. So Jamie Kennedy's spoiling a new a new franchise now, isn't he? He's uh, been in two of the Tremors films. Yeah. He's, he's really fucking that... They don't still make Tremors films. Yeah, they do. Fuck's sake. Did you know that they made a pilot for a series that starred Kevin Bacon again? Yeah. And it just is disappeared. Like, Amazon decided not to go with it, and then Sci-Fi were going to pick it up, and they decided not to go with it. And the pilot's just disappeared. 
It's like two years old. It's never appeared online. There's a trailer and then a second trailer and then it just disappeared. And I think that they just need to do a whole like, you know, like Tim Miller did with Deadpool, just leak the fucking thing. And then when everyone goes, we want this, please make this fucking thing. They go like, oh, okay, we'll make it. Because yeah, that first Tremors film is fucking incredible. It's the perfect, like, just schlocky B-movie 90s film where technology got better than it, it was in the 80s and you can make these big creature features and make something exciting and interesting. Just like Mansquito. How much time are you wasting now? You said you didn't want to do your review. You're first this week. So I started talking about Tremors. My. I don't know. I fancy talking about Tremors. And there was a new one last year. No, there was a new one coming out. No, there wasn't. Yeah. There's been three with Jamie Kennedy. No. The third one's due to come out. And he's a... Okay, so Jamie Kennedy. Remember Jamie Kennedy from like the 90s when he was kind of hot shit? Do you remember Jamie Kennedy's program, the Jamie Kennedy Experiment? No. Where it was just punked, but with Jamie Kennedy? No. I'm saying Jamie Kennedy a lot. Like, I've seen all his films. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but I've seen almost every Jamie There's Kennedy nothing film. nothing to be proud of. Like, he was in Cybertron, which is why we're talking about him. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Malibu's Most Wanted? <laughs> have you seen Scream 1 and 2? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Malibu's most wanted. Have you seen Son of the Mask? Alright, fine. What are you going on about? And your review. Why? And your fucking, review. Fucking Jesus Christ. <coughs> WrestleMania. Yeah, what happened? 36. Yeah. It happened. What's going on with Big Mo in WrestleMania nowadays? What? And also, uh, whatever happened to uh, Alfie Moon? What? WrestleMania 36 happened. Yes. Even though it's probably a health hazard. But I think they recorded it like two weeks ago or something before the thing. Yeah. Aired because it wasn't live. There's there's an apocalypse on, so they're not doing well, it Well, it's an apocalypse. It's not. It's a, it's a pre-apocalypse. Yeah. You it's not free. the crit apocalypse that we're, we're but expecting. But they, they basically, they spread it out over two nights, which is all right, because like, usually WrestleMania is like seven hours long and it's very, very, very tiring trying to watch all that um, but instead they made like eight hours long over two nights or something and it was weird because there's like no one in the audience and it's strangely quiet and some of the wrestlers don't get that maybe you should like talk more in the ring yeah when it's quiet because you know the audience needs something going on like have the wrestlers trash talk each other as they wrestle or I something I think they're mostly things like that they feed off of that like audience environment yeah. don't they that's kind of the thing that that's the thing they need about. to fill the air when it's quiet um, they put a bit of extra effort into it, though. They had, like, signage up all around the place and big old screens with graphics and things all over the place. I think they should have maybe gone a bit over the top and, like, green-screened out the area outside the ring and CGI'd in, like, a pirate ship boat. Oh, fire Because that was the... The theme was pirate ship, so okay. why not make it look like the ring's just on a pirate have, yeah, ship? Just have, like, a fuck ton of pirates just, like, growling in the stage. Yeah, it would have been funny. In the, in the, but, um, they didn't go that silly. But then they had a whole bunch of matches. They're all right. Like, some of them... Like, they suffer a little bit because you haven't got that crowd and, you know, all the performance and stuff. Like, you lose out all the parts where the wrestlers interact with the crowd and everything, obviously. So, they went out there and they, you know, they did their best. They put on a match. They, you know, smacked themselves through into some ladders and through tables and stuff in some matches. Um, The highlights were the Undertaker versus AJ Styles match. Match. AJ Styles has been Um, there. Is he a new wrestler? Or has he been in no, it for he's years? No, he's been in it for years. He's yeah. Been like 20 odd years in Sorry. business. But, um, yeah, they had the thing, it was like, um, remind me of WCW when they tried to make a movie 
where if they would um, shoot stuff and have like a bar and brawl type thing and it would be shot like a movie with a soundtrack and everything. Yeah. It was like that. It was like Unsacred AJ Styles having a fight in some graveyard with a barn nearby and they were like, all these, there's a bit where like a barn wall falls over and there's all these druids and Undertaker's like, okay, come on, let's do this. And they start <laughs> fighting all the druids and it just all that sort of nonsense. That's like, Undertaker's, fun, yeah, Undertaker's thrown into a grave and then AJ Styles is like, I'm going to pour the dirt on you from the truck. It's apparently it's a buried alive match. Um, what is a buried alive match? You bury your opponent alive. That's, oh, yeah. how much dirt do you need to get on them before they? Well, they have a, usually have a truck full of dirt and they just tip. Oh, it. what they put them in a coffin and they chuck them in? No coffin, just chuck them in a hole. Oh, but then Nunday is like behind him and he's like ah ha 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 that stuff. They did all that. That was that was fun. That was the way they ended the first night. The second night they actually ended with Drew McIntyre fighting Brock Lesnar and it was like a four minute long match. Yeah. But before that they had um, John Cena versus Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt's kind of like. The nearest they have the data with someone like The Undertaker, except he loses all the time because the WWE, for some reason, don't want Bray Wyatt to be successful over the years. Why do I know that name? Because he's good. But um, the, his Undertaker and the um, Bray Wyatt versus John Cena match was insane because it, it wasn't, it was like The Undertaker AJ Styles thing. It was a pre edited, pre shot film type thing. And John yes. Cena basically comes up to the ring and the screen goes black and it goes to the Firefly Funhouse because. Bray Wyatt's current gimmick is he's like a twisted t- kids TV host. Okay. And then when he comes out to wrestle, he's got like a mask that looks like skin stretched over his face and shit. Wait a second. I think I saw a meme about this. <coughs> he's he's a lovely lad. He's a lovely lad. Bray no, but Wyatt. I think I saw a meme about John Cena fighting something. He had to go through like his past and his career and it was like he was coming out in his ruthless aggression gimmick and then like Bray Wyatt's cutting promos on him and... Weird shit's happening. He's there doing weights Did and stuff. Did he fight a teddy bear? Or... Probably. I don't know. I saw it. Like that was the meme I saw when it was like when Mum won't let you go out because there's a lockdown on, mm. and it's John Cena punching a teddy bear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a bit, yeah. <laughs> it was weird. It was just like it was basically like Bray Wyatt taking John Cena for an existential nightmare of his it is... his entire wrestling career. Putting a mirror up to John Cena's position as being the greatest in the industry. You know, and all this sort of thing. And I, always, like, I always get John Cena... like, you're a fraud, Cena. I, I always get John Cena mixed up with... Um, who was the guy who was like an Olympic-level wrestler? Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, yeah. I always get them mixed up for some reason. Yeah, yeah, very very similar, yeah. Well, no, it's not just that. It's just Kurt Angle was also very clean-cut. Kurt Angle, like, bestiality sex, that's what he said once. Did he? Yeah, that's brilliant. He used to get cheered for anything, even though he was meant to be a hill. He did a promo where he's like, I can say whatever I want. He said, I tell you what, I'm not even keen on those black folk. And everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> well, that's kind of the audience, isn't yeah. it? That's, that's the audience wrestling hillbillies. Yeah, it was just hilarious. They were trying to make him a heel, and it wasn't working, because oh, everyone no. was just, like, it's cheering for him. Like, yeah. But he's just, he's just, they did a promo, and just, let's see how, what he can get away with saying, and it didn't work. So, like, okay, fine, he's a, he's a face from now on. Um, one of the one of the things that I think is most interesting is that, from the description, it sounds like they really are going, like, all right, we don't need to meet the constricts of normal wrestling. We don't need to worry about the ring so much. And we can sort of do what we want. Yeah, but they didn't do that on those matches. They won't do that on Raw and SmackDown. Oh. It'll just be the same straightforward matches and stuff. They're not pushing the boundaries and doing Because that's weird a bit of a shit. shame, like, The Undertaker... They're editing continuity errors into the matches, because the matches themselves are edited, but, like, they're, they're trying to do it in a way where you don't notice they're edited, but it yeah. doesn't always work. Um, but they like... Like, sorry. You know, like, the 90s... You're not sorry. What? You know, like the 90s, that was peak when I was watching wrestling, was like the 90s and like it being on Sky One on Saturday morning every week. And, and I remember like, I still have vivid memories of Undertaker riding in on his Harley. That's not the 90s. 
That was not in the 90s? No, that's like the early 2000s. 2001 okay. was on when Undertaker became the biker, oh, okay. the American badass. He came to the ring to roll in by Limp Bizkit. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, and also um, American Badass by Kid Rock. It was one of those things that, like, wrestling sort of went to that campy place. Wrestling's always been camp. Yeah, I know, but it went super campy around that time, because I remember that, like... That's probably the least camp period. Really? Yeah. Because I, I can remember, like... This Kids today. Saturday morning wrestling was always 90% backstage people giving each other shit and pretending there was drama and everything else. It's real 10% drama. matches... <laughs> 10% people actually like having a fight or having a wrestle and and um having a wrestle having a wrestle having a, having a good old a good old rolling around about. getting sweaty with each one other one of the weird things are that I've seen Triple H wrestle live I went to download the year they had the wrestling ring oh and Triple H was there to like go like yeah you fucking people there to half arse it for yeah basically the and wearing a suit and stuff and like he was there um and there's like there is something about people that really love that, but I think that they were expecting it to be like an America level of love, and like it to be tinged with like a full on honesty that they loved that stuff. But there was like this ironic sheen where people were like, people weren't shouting like, "Yeah, fucking can." People were like, "Like, yeah, do it, man, mate." <laughs> I don't know if that's British to American wrestling, but that really seemed like one of those things where the people that were wrestling, even they were like. Every so often you could see him like flub something or you'd you'd see behind the curtain more often than you would an edited TV show. Even like even like long takes in a TV show where they're like flipping each other. It looks impressive because these big guys lifting each other no, up. No, they don't and, like, do takes. Pardon? They don't do takes. Yeah, I know, but it's like a, it's a live broadcast. They chop up, basically. No, live shows are live. No, sorry. When you see it on Saturday, this is this is my example, sorry. When you see it on Saturday, when, so when you see The Rock versus Stone Cold. This is on Saturday. This is from my history of wrestling, not yours. I don't watch it religiously. I don't... This is this is like... So back in the day on Saturday, they'd show highlights from the wrestling events that happened during the week or on yeah, Sundays. And you're stuff watching like. the highlight shows. Yeah, basically. Like, like Match of the Day. That's what it was the equivalent to. And it would be chopped up live segments that were just basically digestible chunks so you get 10 minutes of a match and then you get the backstage shit. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Do you have a uh, point? Yeah. It's weird... It's weird that I know so many people that are genuinely into wrestling. Like, it's very popular. It is hugely popular. Like, and I get that. I know you were only like four years old when the Attitude Era was happening. <laughs> no, but my question is that it was is, a very big deal. Is your love for wrestling tinged with the ironic knowing that lots of it is staged and and it's, it's and it's mad. like for fun? It's a show. It's a pantomime. Yeah, and that ironic tinge is there when Except you watch no it. No one's worn dresses in WWE for years. <laughs> Well, well, we've lost... None of the men have, anyway. We've lost the kilts of, of Rowdy Roddy Piper. That's the problem. We need to bring him back from the dead. Well, the headbangers wore kilts. And there yeah, was, they did, uh, yeah. So did... There was um, Vito, who used to wear a dress in the ring. Who were the two that... There were, like, two from the two from the 2000s that were green and green and black kilts. There was the Highlanders for a while. Oh, maybe. They are ginger uh, beards. But, yeah, it's, it's just... It seems like in America, wrestling... Is like, yeah, fucking kill him, the rock. Like they like. Oh, they, a lot of Americans still think it's real. Yeah, like and and they're not very bright. That's why they, I think they elected a pre- uh, freaking yeah, cheeto yeah, as know, president. Yeah. They erected they elected a racist fucking erected, sexist cunt as a president. But that, that, that I was trying to talk about WrestleMania. Sorry, sorry, go. sorry. There's no audience there in WrestleMania. I know, but I want to ask you questions about your. Got- Coronas. But I want to ask you questions there. about your love of wrestling. They're giving like, the wrestlers letters to say that they're essential entertainment business. Really? Yeah, to make sure they don't get 
because they want them to be like, no, no, we're essential. They're still trying to do the shows Vince live. Vince McMahon's like a Republican as well, isn't he? You can tell. Yeah, he had a conference call with Trump the other day. Did he? He guaranteed Trump was like, yeah, yeah, you can carry on. Can you imagine Trump just sitting there like shoving McDonald's chicken McNuggets in his fucking mouth going like, come on, Triple H! Do you, did you ever hear the story of Trump doesn't watch movies, right? He's no, his favourite film's Bloodsport. Yeah, and he only skips to the end. He always skips the talking bits. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, trying to get to the punching. That's the best parts of the film. <laughs> was it? No, it was Kickboxer. That was a great dance scene. <laughs> where Kickboxer, where Jean-Claude Van Damme gets drunk. And then he's like, oh, go dance with those pretty girls. And their like, boyfriends are over there. And Van Damme's like, mm, mm. And the girls are like, yeah, Van Damme. And then the boyfriend's like, hey, you dancing with my missus. And he's like, oh, I didn't dance with you. And he's like, I'm going to fight you now. And he's like, I'm drunk. <laughs> and then he does really crap drunken boxing. Because <laughs> for a while he thought he was Jackie Chan. <laughs> he was at least better than Steven Seagal. Yeah, well, I think like a fucking rancid turd in the sun's better than Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Steven Seagal's uh, he well, he's a real fucking dodgy prick, isn't he? Yeah. Didn't he tie that girl up in his basement? He did like a full on Led Zeppelin. Uh, he so, used to be uh, he used to be married to um, you know the woman from Weird Science, former yeah, yeah, three girl. Yeah. Then uh, he, he did sign to her. Is she a Presley? No, Maria Whitaker. I can't remember if it's her or not. No, someone else. But yeah, he tied her up as well. WrestleMania. I'm trying to talk about WrestleMania and you're all just like Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal. Sorry, so can I just ask one more question? No. What's your opinion of the David Arquette film from 2006, Ready to Rumble? We're not talking about Ready to Rumble. It doesn't exist. I love it. I actually love it. Oliver Platt plays. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay, sorry. Just big shows in that film. I don't interrupt your... No, sorry, I'm things. sorry. Sorry, but I like asking you questions about this stuff because I don't have any insight into wrestling. I don't find it as alluring as you do. I I prefer like things like Eminem. You don't Eminem understand the depths of it, do you? It's That's quite it Shakespearean, isn't it? Yeah. But like, I like punchy it is punchy. Like Shakespeare. I like punchy punchy. Look, that man's down. He's sleeping now. I made him sleep with my fists. Sports. I don't really like the pantomime of it. I think that yeah, that's probably what it is. Anyway, sorry. Fucking UFC's all pantomime anyway. Yeah, a lot of it. Bunch is. of pansies. Yeah. Bunch of little wuss bags. Uh, yeah, WrestleMania was odd. There's some decent matches. I like the um, the ladder match. They had. they had a triple threat ladder match for the tag team titles, but there was only three people in it. Like, it wasn't the teams, because Miz possibly has coronavirus, but they've kind of kept it quiet. Who? The Miz. Oh, the Miz, right. Yeah, Mike yeah, yeah, Mizanin. Yeah. You remember from the real world yeah. in the early 2000s? Um, and they just had a triple threat match. It was all right. It was quite fun. It was, you know... They they threw themselves into some ladders and shit. And, you know, no need to do that. Edge had his first match in 11 years. And loads of people moaned that it was really long. And I was like, I didn't really notice it was really long. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, just quite a charismatic guy. So. The Edge. That's The Edge. Yeah, from you too. Yeah. No, Edge is, Edge is good. He broke his neck. And he's had, like, two sets of fusions done. But, I was going to say, he's had, like, two of his... But, um, two of his spine... Spinal. Spinal. No, I mean, you have two sets of fusions. That's, like, four of your spine at least. Well, yeah, yeah, but the, the fusion, fusion happens between the... It's two vertebrae yeah. get stuck together. That's it, yeah. Um, but like, no, um, he, he, did, uh, he did a big old match and he got smacked around a bunch and they all did silly stuff. Brendan Fraser's Very had it dangerous. so was Keanu Reeves. But they, um, that was, it was a long match. It was all right. Yeah. It was slow. It sounds bombastic, though. That's kind of what you want from yeah. wrestling, isn't it? But wrestling fans, they're just like, they just complain about everything. I thought they did the best they could with the situation. Yeah. And maybe, possibly, they shouldn't be putting any wrestling on right now and let the wrestlers sit at home and heal up for a little while. Yeah. Because it hurts. It really friggin' hurts wrestling. It bloody, like, you don't, you don't do 300 shows a year 
and not be in extreme amounts of pain. So maybe well, let them sit at home for a while. It's a live stunt show, and stuntmen yeah. like ruin their bodies. Put some clip shows on for a few weeks. Yeah. Like show some pay per views on TV, like old events. You know, they've got loads of documentary stuff they could show. They've got this Ruthless Aggression series on WWE Network right now, which is going through like the early 2000s Yeah, as like a little documentary thing. Put that on TV instead of Raw and SmackDown and let the wrestlers have some time off. Yeah. Let them heal. Because that's when they keep wrestling when they're injured. That's when they get more injured. And then well, that's when you get, again, you get like, yeah. ongoing issues, muscle yeah. damage and such. But no, it was, it was an all right event, I think, for what they thought they're trying to do. Um, yeah. I don't think they should spread WrestleMania over two nights normally because... You'd be selling tickets to an event a year in advance when no one knows what the matches are and they have to pick which night they want to go on and that wouldn't really work like if they did that normally. But maybe next year when WrestleMania's on, don't make it seven fucking hours long. And spread it over two nights. No, just keep it keep it nice. It used to be four hours for WrestleMania. Yeah. It used to be three hours. Well, WrestleMania Some of them are two to, and a half. WrestleMania used to be the same as a boxing event where you'd have the pre-fights and you could watch the three hours running up to that if you want or you had the two hours. They always have a the... pre-show. All wrestling events do. So they still have a pre-show along with the seven hours? Yeah. Jesus There's like a two-hour pre-show before WrestleMania. Oh, God. Yeah, it goes on forever. That's fucking... Like, you literally watch the sunset as the show goes on. That's relentless. At one point. Like, yeah, it's, it was getting way too much. Like, last year, it starting at, like, 11pm over here, and it was finishing at, like, 4.30 in the morning. It was getting <sighs> silly. But um, this year, the first night was three hours, second night was, like, three and a half. A bit more manageable, like... But it's still just a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> And you can't sustain that level of enthusiasm for everything that happens. No, but people... that's the thing. They always people always moan and go, "Oh, the crowd are out of you know interest in the main event." They've been there for seven hours. Of course, they've probably been interested. there longer than that. Yeah, because you've got a queue. You've got like the prelim shit. They've got the preparation. You've got to get hot dogs. You've got to get the crowd ready. So you've got like the stupid signs that say shit like applause and stuff like that. They don't have signs up. Yeah, applause. they do. Like if like if you've got fan reactions to stuff that's happening in backstage in WrestleMania, yeah, not wrestling events, no. No? They don't put I've been to friggin' WWE events. Yeah, in the UK. Yeah. We're smarter than the Americans. Dude, the audience don't play along with WWE. They yeah. never have. Uh, which is why there's people going, oh, they should just turn John Cena heel because the crowd are always booing him. No, because if you turn him heel, they'll cheer him. That's why they don't do it. Anyway, WrestleMania also, John 36. Cena, he's kind of the most wholesome person in wrestling. I don't know about that. Why? Because he's, uh, he's a rapist, probably, aren't they? Let's mm-hmm. just spread some rumours. No. Murdered a No, because the Daniel Bryan thing was something I remembered from an actual thing. And John Cena is... He's kind of an angel in a wrestler's body. Like, the amount of shit he does for, like, Make-A-Wish Foundation and stuff like that. Yeah, because he wanted a record to be the most Make-A-Wish person. He still does it, though. Yeah. Like, all the time. The only reason he's probably stopped he's now is because He's not as wholesome as... Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. He only beat his wife a little bit. Yeah. While drunk. Yeah. Anyway. Drinks a lot of beer still, though. You review something, you butt sex Goldilocks. Yeah, okay, all right, cool. I'll, um, I'll review a thing. Sorry, yeah. let me just bring up my notes. I'm just going to interrupt. you just wanting some interruptions, during? Yeah, go for it. Um, so I'm going to... I'm gonna Unrelated switch. topic. Yeah, go for it. I was speaking about wrestling. Hmm. All the time. Everything I mentioned was about wrestling. All right, so I'm going to review Shit's Creek, episode, uh, season six. Uh, and what do you know about Shit's Creek? Never watched it. Sounds rubbish. Okay, cool, cool. I like I like your opinions valid mm-hmm. because despite the fact you're not being an expert or having seen an episode, someone is willing to get you on TV to be a counterpoint to what I'm saying. Mm. 
That's right, our political spectrum's fucked and the media's fucked. Anyway, on to the actual review. So, Shit's Creek is a series about a rich family that um, are owners of a Suncoast video-style empire. It's like a video rental group in the 80s. Oh, it's in the 80s. In the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And they've sort of, they've lived off of that empire for a very long time, made lots of money. And then in mid-2000s, sorry, in mid-2010s, um, early 2010s, they, they lost everything due to some poor investments by their, by their asset management company. Yeah. So they are completely destitute and poor and, and, and not because they're video rental. No. Um, and Johnny Rose, who is the patriarch of the company, uh, patriarch of the family, sorry, he has, as a joke, he bought his son, his son and his daughter, a town called Shits Creek. Cause when he was really fucked up, he thought it was a hilarious name. And it turns out that's the only asset that the company can't touch that are reclaiming against the value because it's a currently occupied town and a parchment of land that has no investment possibilities or any possibilities for, for value. So no one will buy it. It's just this area. And they've retreated to that area to go and live in a motel that the mayor, played by, oh God, the guy from... from um, He's in so much shit, and I can't remember his fucking yeah, name. Yeah, there's gonna be some guy no one knows. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, um, so, so, um, the Rose family have travelled to Shit's Creek. They're living in a motel, and it's basically them um, trying to find opportunities to get back some of the money they've left. But at the same time, getting used to the life of having no money, having having nothing, and and, and connecting and communicating to this to this this town that they're sort of stuck in that has residents, but but you know they're sort of. Initially, they're looking down on these people, and they're like, "We can, we can." Bounce so back they live this. in a place called Shit's Creek. <laughs> we can bounce back from this, and we can, we can do better. Um, and it really, that's that's what it's about. It's, it's just about Johnny Rose, Moira Rose, which is the which is the mother uh, played by Catherine O'Hara, who is fucking phenomenal for this whole series. Um, Dan Levy, Eugene Levy, who plays um, who plays the um, uh, <sighs> Who, who plays the Eugene son? Eugene Levy plays the son. Oh, fucking, I'm losing my mind. Uh, Eugene Plev- Eugene Levy plays the uh, plays the father, and the son's played by Dan Levy. They're real real life father and son, and they wrote the series together. Oh, it's not a coincidence that they got the same no, son. Oh. No, um, So basically, I started watching this um, during a difficult time in my life, where sort of things with regards to my relationship were completely <laughs> fuckety by. Um, and there were five seasons already on Netflix, so it's basically something I could put on and watch and just zone out and watch. Um, the first season, like any sitcom, has its rocky moments, but it's, it's quite strong compared to most. I think that's that's something to do with Netflix and just people being given money and being told, like, just make the scripts you've got, make what you've got and what you want to make, and we'll bankroll it. Which Rocky? <laughs> it's like Rocky Free. Yeah. Yeah. Not like Rocky One, not like the Oscar winner. Thunderlips. That comes later, yeah. Thunderlips where he takes off the medal and then just beats him in the face of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom about fish out of water family trying to make ends meet, make, make ends meet, and come up with ideas. And sort of towards uh, the fifth, the fourth, fifth, and the sixth series. So the sixth being the final, which I'm going to review now. Um, the fourth and fifth series. Oh, you haven't even started yet. No, not yet. Jeez. The fourth and the fifth. There are little hints at there being a possibility that Mike, Mike Rose. Uh, might have a way of getting back some money of like getting a company going and like developing something again which is what he's trying to do he's just trying to be successful and his wife there's hints that she might reinvigorate her acting career there's a great joke about her being in a low budget horror movie like Birdemic 
that's all about crows in which he plays the main villain who's a woman who's experimenting with crows and then becomes one yeah. like a human crow hybrid and she's this woman who um every affectation every every word that's uttered every every way that she words and and says things is unique in that Catherine O'Hara was given complete like I don't think that there was a character sheet so much as there was a personality sheet and then when it came to the vocal ideas that she's put because Catherine O'Hara obviously people know her as the mum from Home Alone you know you've seen Home Alone Home Alone Home Alone never heard of it so in that oddly enough she's given quite a lot of dramatic stuff in that and like it's not so much comedy for her point of view because she's scared her son and she's travelling to go meet him and John Candy's there and oddly enough John Candy's playing against type he's not really in a comedy role either so in that she's hog wild go comedy full comedy and she's fucking ph- phenomenal like the way she talks like there is one character that describes an interaction with her she she takes a part time job at the front of, front of house for the for the motel that they're staying at for one one episode and and someone goes oh we got a review online now let's let's just quickly read it and she's like oh i hope it's a good one he was like well, let's let's just read it and it goes a woman with an accent i couldn't place nor would i ever try to place and she's like oh that sound exotic <laughs> was unable to wait me in getting a hotel room so i left one star she was, he wasn't even a customer <laughs> like that like and it's it's just the weird little things that she throws out there like like oh my god there's, there's a character that has a child later on in life, later on in the series. Sorry, it has a child, and she keeps referring to it as Baba. <laughs> like she can't say baby. She's Baba. <laughs> she just throws it into sentences where it's just like, just oh, but what do you think of the Baba? <laughs> it's just this weird. That's how people say it in America. Incredible comedy timing from Catherine O'Hara that just makes that character incredible. Um, Why are you making fun of a deaf actress? <laughs> she's not deaf. <laughs> It'd be even weirder if she was. She's ferrignoing it. Don't remember when she was in Susan Thomas FBI. No. Um, but yeah, so I I sort of fell in love with this series just because all the characters are kind of treated with respect, despite the fact that I'm talking about Catherine O'Hara and her weird affectation. The way she says things is kind of kind of hilarious. But at the same time, she is constantly affable. Like even though she thinks she's better than everyone else, everyone knows she's kind of just there, like them. So they treat her with the same thing. And when people are talking to her, she doesn't talk down to people so much as she learns that, like, there are whole storylines that are taken directly from, like, the sitcom cliche book. She gets given a gift to go to a salon and get her hair done. She wears wigs all the time, so it doesn't actually matter. It just means that one of her wigs will be destroyed and turned into this horrendous haircut she hates. But she basically, she she gets given the salon date and she goes with her friend, a friend, she, again, like, she's not using those words, those connective terms yet. And she goes with her friend's to this salon, gets her hair done like her, and then her friend turns up and she goes, Moira, I know you hate it. I know you don't want to do this. I'm, you know, I know that all of this was just because you, you, you don't want to sound horrible and you kind of want to do a nice thing. And that's enough. To say that and be honest about that would have been enough. But the fact that you went through with it, it's, it, you know, it shows that, you know, you are my friend. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad you think that. But obviously, mm. we've seen that there is... You know, there's almost like too proud to say what she really feels. But at the same time, characters just see through it. Mm. Like everyone sees through it. No one is fooled by their act. Um, and yeah, just the, every character has like a through line. They have traits and you genuinely like no one changes into some horrible monster. No one becomes something that you can hate. Everyone's treated with respect and, and even background characters are given storylines that are revealed through each of the, each of the episodes. 
And like, it just seems like everyone was all in on the complete series. It doesn't seem like you aren't replacing actors or anything like that. And actors that are in other things that they're obviously committed to, they still find the time to work them into the story. Instead of it being like, being like, you say, say you watch like X-Files and then one series, Mulder and Scully completely disappeared. It's because Mulder disappeared. Sorry, yeah. Mulder's got like a film deal. Got a place with John Doggett. Yeah, he's doing like Zoolander or some shit like that, so he can't make it. So they have that one phone call. He's doing evolution. Oh, there you go. He's doing that one phone call where he's like, where he's like, Scully, come find me in six episodes when I'm available again. It's not like that. They like, they naturally find ways for those storylines to work and then they use those as counterpoints for actual growth in characters. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. But one of the things I was most surprised by, and, and this is something that obviously comes from the fact that their father and son, they've experienced things that would relate to this. There is an LGBTQ through line in day, in, um, in David, who is the son. So David is pansexual. He will, he's attracted to everything, you know, like, so men, women, you know, furries, all the other shit. Like, basically, his attraction isn't based just on gender or sexuality. It's based on whatever he finds attractive. It's it's a, a smorgasbord of feelings, basically. And and um, he he has obviously struggled with that early in life. Like, he speaks about that and, like, the way that he's fallen for people that haven't fallen for him or he's he's wanted to seem like something he isn't for people that just don't care. And there is a conversation between Eugene Levy and Moira and also Stevie, who's the owner of the motel chain, she's the actual like owner of the the whole motel thing, in which in which he says, quite frankly, and it, it's something that clearly feels like it's it's an emotional response to not knowing what someone you care about is going through, and he says that that, and I'm paraphrasing, so I apologise if I butcher this, but he essentially says that my son has feelings or can have feelings for everyone. That means that he there is infinite possibilities for him to have his heart broken. And it must be so hard to find a place in society that is linked to who we are. And and that is partly linked to the partners we choose and the way that we live our lives. And my son doesn't have that solidarity. Not solidarity, but doesn't have that singularity that we all deal with. You know, he can't... He Like, the focus isn't like it is for everyone else. Mm. And it's quite touching for him to acknowledge that. Because normally sitcoms, someone's sexuality is used like a joke. I mean, we go back to Friends and you've got... You've got, oh, Russ was so bad in bed that he turned his ex-wife a lesbian, which is a joke they use countless times in that fucking program. Like, the whole idea that his kid's being raised by two women comes up as a point of contention. And in this, he dates a woman, then he dates a man, then he dates a woman, and then finally he falls in love with a man. The whole last series is kind of bookended by the decision to and the eventual wedding of David and his partner, who is someone he himself was up until that point dating women, met David, had feelings for David, and then they pursued those feelings together. And it is one of the sweetest romances that you could see in a sitcom. And it's not played for laughs. They aren't joking about shit. Oh, they should joke about it. Make, well, all the jokes, jokes. All the jokes. Hard cut to butt sex. One of the most hilarious jokes in it is that they have a shop they own together. So they basically decide to invest in a shop and create this this boutique shop in this weird little farming town because they find out that there are so many farms in the area they can buy products that you can't get in mainstream stores and sell them for like a regular price because they're so close to all these like these avenues mm. and and people start buying their like weird boutique like chewing gums and wines and shit like that and um and uh, and they decide they're going to have an open mic night one night because they've got the space they move the tables aside they've got the space in the they shop. have people come in the shop so they can have people come and they can like basically sell the wares at a discounted price but at the same time have people invited in because of the music and stuff 
And, um, and David's like, that's a great idea. You have an open mic night and I'll lie in bed crying myself to sleep <laughs> because I don't want to be anywhere near an open mic night. And, uh, and the whole episode is just David, David being a counterpoint to this and saying like, this is a terrible idea. No one here is going to have any talent because again, he just thinks that everyone's just sort of like there because they, they don't have anything to elevate them out of the place. He does still retain that for a lot of the series. And it's like, he's one of the weird ones that he was raised in, in so much wealth that he connects with people like Stevie, who he becomes best friends with after their relationship fails because they still find they're in different places. He, he sort of, um, he, yeah, he, he's just, he's sitting there like countering this the whole time. And then finally he decides to go because Moira turns up. She's like, she's like, I want to go to your open mic night. And, and, and Eugene Levy turns up. And they're all just like, they're trying to like encourage him to branch out and try this new thing. And, uh, and it's an acoustic rendition of, um, you're simply the best. And it's just, it's the character's reaction to that isn't like, he isn't, you know, like when you watch like a sitcom and someone does something that's impressive, it's just like, Wah. it's obviously a very quiet, like the fonds. yeah, it's, it's a very quiet little moment where afterwards there isn't a smattering of applause. There's like people that, there's people that briefly go like, hey, well done. But it's, it's the look on Dan Levy's face as he's staring up there at the man that he's obviously got feelings for. And it's just the, the partial tear that this song is focused at him. It's something to show him, hey, look, open your ideas to what is, you know, just experience something else. Try something else. And, like, that through line, again, carries on through the series. Like, right up until the last episode. Like, it's just phenomenal. And that's kind of weird. Because Shit's Creek, when I first saw it on Netflix five years ago, I ignored it because it looked crap. It just looked like a crap thing. The only reason I watched it is because I've watched Always Sunny six times over and then Parks and Reckon all the other stuff. It's because you just constantly have stuff playing. I know. I constantly need to absorb media or no, I die don't. like a shark. No, you don't. Uh, that's why sharks have so many TVs. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's 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 a Tom Atkins for a sitcom. It's a Tom Atkins for the respect it shows its characters and sexuality and everything in a whole. Like, it's so easy to turn them all into bumpkins and be like, all right, you can't have any gays in our town. The joke's being that everybody has to accept this. But there's already LGBTQ characters in the town. They're already acknowledged in other episodes. And it's just like a case of people like go, oh, okay, cool. It's fine. It doesn't become a joke. And that's kind of amazing. Probably the only mean-spirited joke in there is that there is a guy who owns the local garage. His wife has left him. She's she's genuinely not coming back <laughs> And he keeps saying, like, I've got a room ready to go just in case she comes back. And like, like, hey, don't park in my don't park in my parking space. It's like, why? You don't even own a car. He's like, yeah, but she might come back. <laughs> she might need to use it. And it's just like this kind of sad throuper. And they do eventually try and get him with someone else. And he just, all he ends up doing is sleeping with this woman and being like, oh, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to tell my wife. <laughs> like but yeah, it's a Tom Atkins. It's a great series. I recommend everyone gives it a try. I don't think it's going to be everyone's to everyone's taste, but... But just there is something about a program that can make me both happy and sad, and 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 also laugh out loud at some episodes. It's just and it and it works on a lot of levels that I don't think sitcoms really work on anymore. I mean, even Parks and Rec when I mentioned that as a thing, like but everybody loves Raymond. Parks and Rec had an episode in which they had two penguins, and the whole point was that politically they have to straddle the line between being an organisation that doesn't care about that sort of sexual issue to you know just bending their knee to Christians because fuck it. You know, and that's kind of, you know, you'd think that they'd try and see something more than that, but no, they don't really. Um, and this is uh, King of Queens. I think probably the biggest counterpoint to it would be Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the way they handle yeah. sexuality and issues about sexuality. Because I, I, I think that Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you mentioned it last week, they're all bad people. 
They're yeah. not meant to be good people. You're not meant to idolise these people. Yeah, you only figured that out recently, didn't you? <laughs> well, I've been living my life by the dentist system. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's like, it, it, like the counterpoint is that you look at episodes like where Matt comes out to his dad, and that's basically art. That's an art house film in 22 minutes starring fucking Rob McClannery and Michael Helene. McKellen. You need to watch more art house films. <laughs> but it's, what it, it is, but that's what it is. Yeah. Like, and that's the plot to some French films. A man spends his whole life trying to tell his father who he really is. His adoptive father is fully accepting, even mocking, in the idea of how easy it would be to tell someone. And then eventually he tells his father in the form of dance, which is completely silent. Oh, no, sorry, it's not silent. It's silent except for music and the sound of the water beneath the actor's feet lit spectacularly and then the father rejects his son but his stepfather is still there to love him. That is literally the plot to an art house. I will put money on it. But yeah, it's just, yeah. Sitcoms nowadays, I think they are elevating themselves but you you can't watch mainstream shit. Like, you're never going to see this in How I Met Your Mother or fucking Sheldon in The Sheldon Show and fucking Big Bang Theory. You're saying Sheldon's not comedic classic I mean look at Big Bang Theory you've got an actor who is who is out who is a gay actor who's out and they have to put him in a relationship with Malin Ackerman is it Malin Ackerman? I don't know it's not Malin Ackerman no it's not no Malin Ackerman's the one from Blossom she's like 40 some odd now Um, who is it? I don't know it's the one from Blossom I don't give a fuck anyway Malin Bianac or whatever her name is yeah I mean there's no one's really doing anything like unless you're watching something called like The L Word or, or fucking, you know, I don't know. Unless you're watching something like that, you don't expect it to be handled with any level of, of ability. And this is a sitcom that's funny and does it. And it's just, yeah, well done. Your review, man. Can't believe he slated Big Bang Theory like that. That's America's number one sitcom. Bazinga. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, that show's gone on way too long. I'm trying to think of any other sitcoms that have had any LGBT or anything, like any sort of representation. Well, oh, they all do now, Modern Family and all that. Well, no, Modern Family, they're still the butt of the joke a lot of the time. Modern <laughs> Family, you still... But that's what <laughs> gay dudes are into. I mean, probably the best... Butt stuff. Probably, probably the best handling of it was... Did Which you ever is the watch... one that's got What's-Her-Face in it? <sighs> Ariel Winter. Yeah, that's Modern Family. Is it Modern Family? Oh, I just track them. I don't care. I don't watch them. Did you ever watch... They're fucking terrible. Did you watch the Kim Peel sketch where it's... Um, they're all attending the marriage of two co- of like a cousin and his boyfriend. And they're like attending the wedding. And so one of them, played by, played by um, John Peel, has invited his work buddy over, who is gay, so they can ask him <laughs> questions. And it's like, are we going to be singing any gay hymns? Like, it's raining. It's <laughs> not... And like, it's... It's so surrealist and stupid, but that's kind of what I think a writer's room's like <laughs> for something like Modern Family. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's just all jokes about masculinity and shit. Like, the main guy played by the guy from Dawn of the Dead, um, I can't remember his name, but, like, he's he's effeminate. He has effeminate traits, but he's a straight man. He's got kids. He's got family, you know, and he, he doesn't have any... any um, he, isn't, he isn't attracted to men. But like constantly, his sexuality is called into. He's like, he's like, are you even a man? Are you even this? Are you even that? It's like, it's like, I mean, come on. I know you're married with children, but even married with children had an episode in which you handled gay rights better than this shit. Mm. Married with children had the episode where Peggy started dancing with that dude who was teaching her how to dance, and Al thought she was cheating on him. It turns out no. The guy's married to Dan Castellano, you know, the voice of Homer Simpson, and he finds this out by Dan knocking on the door and being like, "Your wife is stealing my husband." He's like, he's like, Peg stealing your husband. 
is he blind? <laughs> like that, that's the joke. And then it turns out Dan Castellano can cook. So Al says like, I might marry you. <laughs> like just the fact that he can cook and clean is all he needs. Yeah. And it's just, that's a better representation of sexuality than fucking Big Bang Theory and shit like that. But yeah. Anyway, your review, man. Fucking Bojack Horseman does it better. How ridiculous is that? A film about, a program about animals does fucking representation better than a fucking 15 series behemoth of American entertainment. It's all about asexuality. I really liked that stuff in Bojack Horseman. It was asexuality, wasn't it? They aren't attracted to people. Well, they aren't sexually attracted to people. They're attracted to the idea of being around people, but not actually sexually attracted to people. No sexual drive. Anyway, and your review. Nah. Sorry, I got I got deep. That yeah. was meant to be. That was meant to be. Freaking. It's meant to be. Sort of an hour now. now. I'm gonna be quick on the other ones. God's sake! Right, I played Doom sixty four. How'd that go? It's really good. Uh. 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 uh, uh. What'd you play on? Oh, I'm done. No, but I mean, what did you play on? Oh, Switch. Yeah, and how'd it run? It's really good. Um, have you noticed any changes to Doom 64? Because you've got the Doom 64 cart, haven't you? No. Did you play on the N64? Briefly, years ago. Okay. But no, it's, it's Doom 64, it's the N64 game, it's like straight up the same game. Like, lighting's been tweaked to be a little bit brighter, so you can see what's going on, but I think that's mostly down to the difference in how things were displayed on CRTs and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and it's widescreen. And other than some little tiny bits here and there that they've tweaked for con- like controls and stuff. It's got dual stick controls, obviously, now, but yeah. not no looking up and down. Um, they could have added looking up and down, but they didn't. It does it automatically, it so I don't know if it's... Yeah, but it's just... It, the Doom was a fully 3D game, Doom 64. It wasn't... Uh, what do they call it? Not ray traced, ray based scans or whatever it is that they use for the original Doom. Oh yeah, because um, you can see, you can actually path see. trace him. Yeah, you can actually see the designs when you go to the map, can't you? That's yeah. like that's just the actual. Um, no, it's, it's it's really good Doom. They've had an extra story thing you have to get to when you finish the yeah. main campaign. Um, but yeah, I've been I, mean, I only played this one briefly years ago because Quake Two. I'd already played Quake Two by the time I played Doom sixty four. So Quake Two on the N sixty four is like the flashier yeah. one. Because it wasn't the flashiest game. But no. the thing was, it never got a re-release after the N64, so it was just, like, gone. And I remember it got really bad reviews in a lot of magazines the at the time. the Because, like, um, loads of them were saying, oh, it's, like, too dark, the monsters look too cartoony because they were, like, silicon graphic designs. But they look they look fine. Like, well, it, like, I mean, they it, look quite cool. Somewhere. I think it's, like, the second-to-worst-selling port of Doom. Because I think that, like... I well, it's not the, poor, it's a new game in time. No, no, yeah, sorry, like release, like Doom release, like mainstream release, I, I think it's like the second worst. That's a pretty obscure well, Engage, release Well, Engage released like 64,000 64, copies and they all sold 64,000. Nothing sold 64,000 copies on the Engage. Nothing sold on Engage. No one played that. It's a piece of shit. The only person who played that was that weird builder guy who used to come in Toys R Us all the time and was buying every single Engage game that came out because he was oh, really into it. Really? He was the only person buying them. Didn't have a copy, like, had a version of Commandos on it. I don't know. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's a rubbish thing. I got told off for telling the um, owner of the Toys R Us that he's wasted his money back in Engage. Like, they sold those off for, like, 40 quid. Yeah, I know. We had them for years. Yeah. I was constantly just, like, stacking them all up. They're rubbish. Um, they, they put a massive great big display, and I was like, I don't think it's wise to be pushing a device where they release the price by writing it on a 14-year-old girl's stomach. Like, anyway, Doom 64 is really good. I'm liking it. It's really dark and moody, and it's got like the music's completely different. It's got a different feel to the other Doom games yeah. at the time. Um, I'd probably say, like music-wise, it's closer to um, 
Was it the PS1 cop, PS1 Doom that had the weird moody music instead of the regular Doom music? One of the ports has different music to the originals. Not, not the 3DO one, which had awesome heavy metal soundtrack. But, um, it's all like synthy and. It sounds a bit like Final Doom to me or mm. Hexen. Is it Hexen? No, it's one of the, one of the ports of the original Doom. I think I'm pretty sure the PlayStation ones have got a different soundtrack. Mm. Um, but no, they made it more sort of like moody stuff. So it's all synthy sound effects and all this sort of thing. Like, there's no files on the cartridge for the music of Doom 64. So there isn't like a Doom 64 soundtrack because it was all done using like soundscapes that it's basically like trigger when you're walking around certain areas yeah. and it trigger certain sound things. It doesn't it doesn't have WAV files to play stuff. It's basically mm. the MIDI encoding of the uh, the But no, it's not like it's not like MIDI where it's not like because most music on consoles is MIDI yeah. in old consoles. It's basically it will trigger soundscapes depending on where you are in the level and all this sort of stuff. So there isn't actually like music as such. Huh. It's just the one and you hear like the babies crying. Because you shit. can unlock some of the tracks on Eternal, can't you? No, I don't know, I don't think so. You can get like I've Doom got, Two soundtracks and I've stuff. I've got like Quake, Doom Two, yeah. Doom Three. Yeah, yeah. There's loads of stuff on there. But um, no, nah, it's really it's really good stuff. I'm not massively like. It's four pound. I've on done Switch, like yeah? ten levels of it and something like that. How much was but, it on Switch? Four quid. Yeah, something like that. It's not much. It's like four ninety nine. Yeah, which is right in line with the pricing. Yeah. Um, I like the way the pricing staggered for the Doom releases on the Switch because you got three pound for Doom One and Two, isn't it? Something like that. And there's four pound for Doom Sixty Four, and there's eight pound for Doom Three. Yeah, right. Doom um, Three is really solid on the on the Switch. It's the worst Doom. I like it. I don't think it is the worst Doom. It's the worst Doom. I think Doom sixty four is the worst. No, Doom Engage is the worst Doom. But um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. As soon as you get the super shotgun, you you don't need any other weapon. As no, as you that yeah. gun destroys things. I mean, you know, you can have the plasma rifles and blast away at things really quickly if you want. But the super shotgun's more satisfying. It goes clunk and and then things die. Really and also, easy. shotgun shells out everywhere. Isn't it? Um. The levels are like properly complicated sometimes. There's some, there's some levels that are just like, like you'll click a button and you'll think, oh, nothing's happened. Yeah, and then you'll travel halfway around the level. And you realise you have to like click the button and run to the other side of the room that you couldn't see. Oh, I hate that puzzle. There's That's a teleport the on the other side, on, isn't it? Yeah. Where you've got the four pillars and you hit the button and the four pillars go down, the key appears there, and you think to yourself, oh, like it's moving around the place and you've got. Oh, that's a different thing. No, I'm yeah. on about the one where there's a teleport on the other side of this room. And you can't see it. So when you press the trigger, you don't realise the teleporter switched on. And you have to run to the other side of the room before it switches off again. Because it doesn't make a noise to indicate the teleporter's moved on. But there's a bunch of levels where it does crazy stuff like that. Where you fall down a big old dark pit and you have to do some really complicated jumps to get through parts of the level and everything. It's, but it's, it's a it's a tricky tricky level design. There's a lot more reliance on you figuring out the, the key to unlocking the level. Unlike the original Dooms, which was generally just find the you know find the keys and get out the level this one's got a lot more you know figure out how to get to a certain place going on yeah um but yeah classic classic doom stuff i think like, yeah i've played on the um on the xbox one yeah i i feel like the weird thing about older games like more retro games i always just want them on the switch hmm. they always just seem like a great fit to that screen um because blowing them out to 1080p isn't the most flattering thing for those older games hello Doom 64 runs at 4K on Xbox One X, and it's the only Xbox One S game that runs higher than 1080p. <laughs> it runs at 1440p on the S. Um, which Isn't is it weird. madness the S was meant to upscale to 4K? Yeah, but no one ever used, no one didn't have the power for I it. had it access, I had it activated. They went, oh, we're giving you extra power so you can like upscale games and stuff like that, and everyone's like, no, we need that extra power just to get them to run, because yeah. this Xbox was a potato. The original one was, yeah. It's an overheating potato mess. Yeah, um, Doom 64, I think they've done a good job with it. 
it's a really good port. It's done by Night Dive Studios, who did like the Turok oh, cool. ports. Um, and they're doing that Blade Runner reissue that they're coming out doing the Blade Runner game. Oh, really? Yeah, they're they're handling that. The license to that was fucked. No, no, it all got sorted out like um, last year, wasn't it? Because mm. they released it on good old games, didn't they? I think it's on Steam as well now. I'm just annoyed that I can't play. Um, what is it? What's the what's the Snatcher? My PC Snatch. engine got delayed, didn't it? Mm. My pre-ordered PC engine got delayed. I was going to buy one from Japan because they're 170, 107 quid to get them imported over. Yeah, you get import tax and shit. Well, that's with import tax and everything. It's 107 pound. I worked it out. Um, and you can just switch the language so you can just play it. But I mean, mm. I don't know if it'll have all of the files for the UK version of Snatcher. Because that'll be the American one with all the American... No, the Snatcher's not translated on the PC Engine. Is mini. it not? No, it's Japanese. Because oh. the PC Engine version never got translated. Oh. The only translated version was the Mega CD one. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we have to pat- people, people patch it. Oh, yeah. um, but no, Doom 64. It's, all, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's, good. it's great. You can shoot things. Are there any other Doom games that you wanted to see transferred over? All the Doom games have been done now. I mean, sorry, are there any other games by like ID that you'd like to see? I'd like to see Quake Eight. 4. Id. Yeah, sorry, Qu- Id. Id. I'd like to see Quake 4 again. Because Quake 4 was a strong game. Nah, I'd go for Quake 2. I played Quake 1 in VR the other day. Mm. They've got it on free side quests, because I think it's like shareware now. Like It's basically free, isn't it? Freeware. Um, so they've got a VR version of Quake. But you can't... It's not like modern v- f- uh, VR games where you can sort of jump around, that mm. you teleport. Instead, you have to move the sticks. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't <laughs> work, teleporting. What? It's just, it feels, you're standing completely still, you're just flying across the map, because it's the same speed that it runs on, and Quake is a faster game than Doom. You move faster. Why would you play Quake in VR? I just wanted to try it. It was great fun. God's sake. It was terrifying, but it was great fun. All right, uh, my next review is, they came from outer space to eat our brains on the Switch. That's not a real thing. It is indeed. Mm. Um, so it's a top-down... It's sort of isometric, so you know it's got that art style where it's like, uh, it's not quite top down, it's sort of 3D at an angle. Um, and it's a wave based gauntlet style shooter in 3D. Is it isometric or not? Well, isometric is to the side slightly. No, it's just at an angle. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's to the side slightly. No, it could be top down. Well, yeah, it's like top down isometric, that's what I mean. Don't have to be a diagonal. But it, it could is. be like Zelda. Yeah, but it is. No, yeah. uh, well, then it is isometric. It's not sort of <laughs> isometric. <laughs> All right, so it's an isometric top-down wave-style shooter, gauntlet-style, um, in which you basically just fight off monsters. You have it's a, a twin-stick shooter, so you move with one, shoot with the other. Um, I mean, it, it's the kind of thing that we've seen a million times over. You've got exit the, uh, you enter the dungeon and, 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 and even to a certain degree, um, you've got games like, um, fuck's sake, what's the one with the banana? I played it all the way through. And name some, name some, uh, isometric shooters for me, please. You enter the dungeon, uh, gauntlet. <laughs> Why the fuck am I blanking? Smash TV. You know, it's been done a lot. Um, one of the nicer features of this are it's like neon drenched, but sadly it's it's got that blocky character design, a bit like uh, Minecraft. Kids are into that. Yeah, I think that this is the kind of thing that could distract someone, someone's kids. It's not, it's not, it's not deep as I'd like from an experience like this. Um, I think it'd be a little bit more fun if the design was more um, was more punched out, maybe like a little bit of a horror element, like something like a little bit more spooky, because it's it's. 
all about like aliens basically coming down trying to eat your brains they've got like zombie style like monsters that come after you and you just shoot them um, you can get gun upgrades you can get explosives and things like that to, to sort of give you a better fighting chance but it's just there's not a lot of meat to it there's not a lot of the, it's it's quite linear and, 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 and there's just there's not enough there for it to be a solid recommend I'm sure it'd be fine if it's if this goes on switch on sale for like two quid it's it's enough of a curiosity that I recommend people buy it, but full price I think it's like eighteen pound, ten pound. I think that's just too much. You and you're putting caveats on prices. Well, no, I'm trying to I'm trying to help people make the best decision if they are if they're budget gaming or if they're looking for a challenge. I I would say I would say I'd always recommend Enter the Gungeon more than this. That's probably the best that we've seen on the Switch for that style game. No. Nah. What do you reckon? I mean, so Android Cactus on Switch. Yeah, Android Assault Cactus is great again. Assault Android Cactus. Assault Android Cactus. <laughs> I always do that every time. Um, that's that's also a better style of this Isn't game. It? It's also a lot more kinetic. This is quite slow feeling at moments. Mm. So like the enemies don't move too fast, and sometimes they they. Is that what's that one that got on Mega Drive release? It's now on Switch as well. Oh, Xeno... Xeno Crisis. Xeno Crisis. Yeah, that's also that's on, on Switch. Yeah, that's also on Switch. That's a good game as well. I mean, that again, it's it's got speed. It's got more haste to it. Mm. So it seems more like a challenge. Um, I, I don't really think this is a strong recommend. It's like a David Spade. It's like, it's not terrible. Um, I think it's just fine. And I don't really think it does enough to elevate it above. Above any sort of style shooter like that. I wish that there was a little bit more to it beyond the art style. And I wish they used the idea of like monsters coming down, you know, like there is inherently interest in that. Like you could do like some weird squiggly diddly monsters and mm. they're just blocky. It's kind of blocky. Pixely. Yeah. Well, not even pixely because it's 3D. Oh. Yeah. So it's all just like those, like I said, Minecraft. Did you buy one of those weird, like, you know, weird little games that should have no business on Switch? I think everything has business being on Switch, Ant. I think that you're a racist. Anyway, your review, Ant. There's I loads of weird shite on Switch. David Spade. That's probably wouldn't even get on Steam. I don't know. How fucking day. Steam is a graveyard for shit. What's I that just, game I just called? hit like there was mostly vodka there, not vodka whiskey. Um, it was called They Came From Outer Space to Eat Our Brains. Oh. Yeah, David Spade. It's fine. That's too much of a title. It's too long. Yeah, it is. Shorten it down. Well, it would be Tucker Fuff but, uh... <laughs> I wouldn't. Anyway, your review. God's sake. Um, Power Rangers Beast Morphers. Oh, I watched some of this. I've watched the whole series. Fuck you. I didn't you. Have to watch any of this. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Power Rangers Beast Morphers is the first Hasbro Power Rangers series. It's been finished now. Yeah. I'm now fully up to date with Power Rangers again. Yeah. Although season two just started in America. Um, but Beast Morpher, it's it's quite good. I enjoyed it. It's fun. It's not like upper echelon or anything in Power Rangers. You know, obviously the best Power Rangers series are on par with like Breaking Bad and the like. But you know, it's 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 in the middle somewhere. You know, it's a solid like uh, Lex or oh, Andromeda. <laughs> I think of mediocre TV shows. I was about to say. <laughs> I haven't thought of, I haven't thought of Andromeda in such a long time. No, yeah, but um, I met. Kevin Sorbo, didn't I? Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. And he turned to you and he went, you're one of those lefty liberal cuck fucks who are going to ruin the no, world. No, it's quite nice. Oh, really? Yeah. In um, America, did you see that he made a film about lefties taking people's guns 
So all the people with guns have to go and hide in the woods and shoot people that come after them. Yeah, was it Power Rangers? Yeah, Kevin Sorbo. Um, they've done. It's it's all right. It's it's sort of like it's in the upper half of Power Ranger quality, but it's not like it's not as good as like an RPM or an In Space or a Time or Time Force. It's like it's just really good solid Power Ranger stuff. It's got plenty of memorable characters. It sort of leans into nineties style a little bit. There's a couple of goofball characters in there. Balkan Scott, Ben and Betty. Okay, were, um, they're twins. Like one's a chubby dude and one's a skinny girl. They're Asian. They have got an adopted dad, and their dad's a buffoon. He's the general of the army, and he's a buffoon. Yeah, yeah. He shouldn't have. He shouldn't have the job. He kind of looks like. Imagine if you took Ofo from um, Beetlejuice and you like made him normal, but he was dead. an idiot. Yeah, he's dead as set. He's dead as dicks. Um, but no, Beast Morphers. They they based it on Go Busters, which is the 2012 Super Sentai. So they've gone back a long way to adapt this because this Go Busters was the. F- I think the first series they skipped because of the whole having to do two seasons for every Power Rangers now because of Nickelodeon's weird restrictions on how many episodes they can have a year and all this. Yeah. Um, so it's weird to go back all that way. And because they went back all that way, they couldn't use the suits and costumes from this show. Because they're degraded. Yeah, they're all like, you know, the, the monster suits have all rotted and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So they had to rebuild them all, which is like Hasbro must be throwing some money at this because... There's loads of action sequences where you can tell it's been shot in the US involving the monsters, yeah. which means they would have had to have built the monster suits as well, not just the Power Rangers well, costumes. They probably, like, they probably kept a load of the casts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're making them match the footage from the previous one, airbrushing all the paint details and stuff. There's a weird thing they did, though. They took um, one of the villains in Go Busters. Um, she's purple in Go Busters, yeah. but in Beast Morpher, she's yellow. Oh. Um, she gets defeated at the end of the first series, but I think what they're going to do in the second series is they're going to use the purple, purple footage. Um, but I thought that was a kind of weird, interesting choice, but I know why they did it, because they tied it into the plot. Because the way the plot works in this, there's like three people are going to be selected to basically become Power Rangers to protect the morphing grid. Because yeah. now they're, they're accessing the morphing grid as a form of clean energy to power the city. And they've got these big old generators. And I guess the Power Rangers are going to be protecting it. But two villains take over two of the pods and they, you know, become vinless Power Ranger type characters. They got like they look like evil Power Rangers, but because okay. one of them is red, he's got the burgundy colour, but the other one she went in the yellow pod. That's why she comes out as a yellow monster oh, rather than purple. purple like yeah, so they they did that to sort of tie it into the plot and everything. Um there's less of the robot characters from Go Busters, but they are there. Like, Do you think they'll spread them out for the next series? No, they're they're basically in Go Busters, every member of the team has like a robot buddy who works with them okay. and they're like they're partners in the show and they'll like hang out all the time together and they're just constantly there but in this they're kind of there less often because they're like they turn into little vehicles and stuff like one of them turns into a motorbike and then that combines into the car and that's like the steering wheel for the car oh, okay it's like his head um and all this sort of stuff it's a neat neat thing um but yeah it's it's a, just a fun series one of the rangers they introduced the golden silver range like seven episodes into this but um it's not a tradition of gold and silver, is there? Yeah, it's happened a few times. So RPM oh, yeah. had a gold and silver. Um, but the way they built up to it was like, every now and again for a few episodes, without comment, you'd see like, oh, there's a robot head in the background and there's like part of some armour or something. Or there's like this new weapon you haven't seen before. And then the villains break in in one episode and steal a whole bunch of just random stuff from the monster for the base. Essentially like like um, in 4 where Lo- uh, Odin has the gallery of all the random shit. Mm. But they like steal <laughs> stuff. And they force Nate, the sciencey guy who works at the um, from Legends of Go Tomorrow, Busters, at the Go Busters company, whatever they're called in this. Um, yeah. 
Grid Battle Force, so they can use the GB That's logo. That's a cool name. Yeah, so they can use the GB logo from GoBusters. Yeah. They don't have to cut around it. Um, okay. And they're like, oh, you have to make a monster for us so we can put our villain. The villain's a virus computer thing called Evox. Okay. Bollocksy thing. He's in a dim- digital dimension or some shit. I don't know. I can't figure it out. A bit like the villain in Superman 3. But they want to give him a body. And the body ends up becoming the Silver Ranger because he does some crazy stuff and he fuses its DNA with human DNA. The robot like gets vision. human DNA, so like, technically the robot's human. Like um, vision in Age of But Ultron. the robot's called um, Super Amazing Mega Awesome Strong as Steel, or just Steel for short. He names himself. Okay. And he's basically got this like, hey, I'm super cool and amazing. Yeah, I'm great at all this sort of stuff. But even though he's got the goofy comedic relief, like dumbass character thing, he's the one who quite often has the heaviest storylines. Yeah. Like he's the one who usually has to, like he gives himself up to the villains at one point so they can complete the evil scheme to save his brother because he treats the Gold Ranger as his brother. Okay. Nate, they sort of treat each other as brothers. Nate's never had a brother. He always went. The guy's called Nate Silver and he's the Gold Ranger and it really bothers me. Is the other guy called? No, he's called Steel. He's just Silver. Oh. But it really bothers me that Nate Silver is the Gold Ranger and not the Silver Ranger. It seems like a short-sighted decision, yeah. doesn't it? And they've quite clearly got a beetle, like a kaboot, you know, a stag beetle. Yeah, yeah. And what's the other one with the horns? Uh, the Rhino pincers. beetle. Yeah, something like that. They've got that beetle thing going on. Except they're a mantis and a beetle. Yeah. But the mantis, it's not a mantis. It's clearly not a mantis. Stop saying that. Do you mean it's just, the it's just isn't a mantis. Yeah, they, yeah, I think it's just because in Japan there's the whole stag beetle versus horn beetle they thing. They have like their little fights, yeah. Yeah. but That's why there's so many of those arcade video games based on that shit. Look, they're not the first two to be based on those sorts of beetles. Well, no, like beetle balls and shit like I mean, that. I know, like mm-hmm. Power Rangers friggin' Ninja Storm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the two evil, evilish ninjas. They're not evil for long. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's it's fun stuff. Ben and Betty's like fun comedic. It's probably the first time they've done like that sort of bulk and skullish character, and it's not been like Rating. it's not been like a really pale imitation. They've got their own thing going on, and they're their own characters. Like they're not like the ones in Ninja Steel who were just like bulk and skull imitations, who were like the school bullies and stuff. In this, they are they generally want to help everyone. They they work at the Grid Battle Force and they they fix things and their mechanics and stuff, but they keep getting into crazy japes and situations. Mm. But they even do stuff like they uh, grab a piece of technology the villains are using and run away from the villains with it, like while being chased by all the monsters. And they're like, I'm gonna save the day and do my best. Mm. Um, That's not uh, for that because usually they just fuck up. Yeah. Usually in every Power Rangers series, they're just a fucker. Yeah. I think they were used. They were used in the film to help save people, weren't they? Well, the thing with Bulk and Skull is gradually their arc in the original shows was that they gradually learned to become heroic. Yeah. And it all builds up to the end of the Power Rangers in space. They're the ones who first stand up to the villains and get all the humans to join in. Ah. You know, because they think the Power Rangers are gone. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Ben and Betty are just they're they're there to help. They want to help out. They're enthusiastic. They'll you know do their best. They usually end up getting hurt. Mm. Um, because they're buffoons but um, there's some it's, it's fun stuff though that show I, I'm quite liking it I'm liking the way the villain monsters the monsters don't grow in it the villain sends out like a giant robot and the robot takes on a sort of modified appearance of the monster do all the robots look the same to begin with? Yeah, no they have like this base body versions of them and they're all like different skills and stuff mm. But you'll see, like, sometimes they'll be fighting the monster on the ground while in the background the mech fight's going on. Yeah. And it'll be happening at the same time. That's cool. Um, I like that. It's neat stuff. Um, I like the mecha can move, which is a rarity. Um, that Go Busters is probably the end of when the mechas could properly move. Oh, right. So it's like proper people in suits and 2012 stuff, like... stuff. Yeah. yeah but, when so they, but after that, they got into this habit of making them so boxy the people in the suits couldn't move. Yeah. And it's not until Ryu Soldier that the mechas can move again. 
and Rear Soldier is going to be the next series after Beast Morphers. So, wasn't the original guy who did Godzilla? Wasn't he like a wrestler? Nah, I think he was just a stunt performer. Is he just a stunt guy? Yeah. Oh. Nah. I can still. I just remember him in the leotard coming out of the suit. Well, that's where leotard. You can't wear much inside those no, suits because yeah. you'd be sweating through. Everything. I love the fact that they have like braces for the legs. Yeah. <laughs> the top part goes down. Yeah. The top. yeah. But no, oh. Beast Morphers. It's um, it's good fun. It sounds like Enjoy. it sounds like it's on an upswing. Uh, like because you had some trepidation, didn't you? That it was going to be. I say it's it's better than Ninja Steel. Ninja Steel was a bit. It sounds like yeah. it's better than the Time Force one as well. No, Time Force is top tier. Oh, is it? Yeah, Time, Time Force, Force is too good. Because this one doesn't really deal with many themes beyond a basic thing of the week. you think they'd do some Robocop in there, mm. wouldn't you? But, the, like, Beast Morphers, like, it'll be, oh, this kid's, like, he's getting bullied and then they teach him how to stand up to bullies and stuff. Mm. Whereas Time Force had their running themes through the whole series of racism and... yeah. Bigotry and because you had like sort of the stuff. guy from the past who was part of the team, and then you no, had, like, didn't time force, no time force. I thought time force was on the caveman. No, that's super. That's Dino Charge. Oh my god! Ah, that was three seasons ago. I feel like I'm having a that's fucking, Coda. I'm having a Power Rangers stroke. Coda again. is going. Yeah, to I recognise the name Coda. Yeah. yeah, he's going to appear in season two. There's going to be a dinosaur special episode. Jason's in it. Um, I think I think they're going to take. The movie they're using yeah, for that a platform film. to introduce, and they're going to introduce next year's Rangers in it, I reckon, because they're Dino themed, and it would make sense if you're going to do a dinosaur special. Go Coda, and everyone's like, "No, they aren't," because they haven't casted the actors and stuff yet. And I'm like, "Fine, okay." Surprise, surprise! I'm one of the actors. All you need so. is their voices, and all you need to do is cast them before the show hey, goes to air. There's a dinosaur over you there, you know. Or you could just have a silent cameo, Ugh. just film something quickly. <laughs> but um, yeah, but Beast Morph for season two that will be on Netflix in a year, so. <laughs> Do you want me to find you a copy of it? Yeah, it's only just started in America. Okay. And the thing is, the way they broadcast it, Nick Nickelodeon, like, they'll show, like, five episodes, and, and then it'll go off the air break. for three months. Yeah. And then there'll be a couple more. Meanwhile, Australia has, like, all the episodes going up or something. Really? Yeah, last year, Beast Morphers, they were up to episode 16 in Australia before they took a break, and in America, they'd only got up to episode eight. Let me know when it's all on there, and I'll find a copy for Yeah, you. I can find it myself. Yeah, but I can find I it. I had it all recorded on the set-top box for, like, six months, but I didn't get around to watching it because I couldn't be asked to fast-forward for the adverts. <laughs> So. Um, I need to pee. Can I pee? You're not allowed to pee. Pause it. Pause it. I'm but anyway, pee. Beast Morphers. Where are you going? I'm going to pee. Oh my god. Beast Morphers sounds amazing. It it's sounds fun. better than most of the series that you've explained so far. I like steel. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you do. Fucking it up. Bye. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Sorry about that. Everybody I had to pee. Did they not know? Are you going to cut it out? No. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so yeah, that sounded really interesting. That series <laughs> of Power Rangers. <laughs> My second to last review. So we're almost there. Oh almost god, the second end. to last. It's not going to be long, I promise. So um, I've been playing In Other Waters on Switch. Have you heard about this game? It's been getting a lot of buzz. No, no, that wasn't even a pun. It has actually been getting a lot of accolades. Uh, people have been really excited about it and enjoying it. It's um, it's a hard game to describe. I, I think I, no, I, I heard I, of it. I think I said to you it was a bit like FTL. And it kind of is. Like, um, you know how FTL, you work on a grid, so you travel to a new place, you work on the grid, so you basically travel from one end to the other. Um, and along the way, you can have interactions with other spaceships or go into dangerous environments, so on and so forth. In um, in other waters, you are the AI of a diving suit that currently has someone occupying it. That person communicates to you and tries to give you an idea of what their desires are. So uh, essentially, they are on a journey to find someone that has gone missing on a planet an alien planet that is that is basically underwater. 
So it's up to you to help that person scan the area, find out about the local flora and, 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 and fauna and, and, and try and, and, and try and identify what has happened to the other person. Along the way, you can activate like beacons and stations to fast travel. Um, but it's, it's all, you press B to scan the area. You tap on things to scan them. So you can tap on creatures that are flying by. Um, it's all top down and it's graph based. So it isn't like you aren't seeing like a little figure. You see a dot that's you. No. You see triangles that are locations and you see circles, uh, configurations of circles as living creatures or scannable items in the world. Um, and when you travel to something, they're a little, not a mini game because it's, it's something you do every time, but you basically scan. When you collect a sample, you scan the area by turning a dial. And that dial travels over the surface and then, uh, sorry, over, through the water. And when you find something, you press down on the D-pad and then up on the D-pad. Or if you've not got the switch light, the buttons, the down up buttons on the switch light. And that closes closes the sample, the sample tube. You press A to capture the sample and that goes into your inventory. You can then use that to clear debris or to change the environment or to add oxygen or energy to your suit so that you can keep traveling and exploring. Um, it's all really interesting. It looks beautiful. So the actual design of it, so it's, it's, um, a blue. It's mostly like blue with like, um, blue with yellow accents everywhere and like lines. Really simplistic, like three colors. Blue and yellow. Yeah. Three colors for everything. Everything's easy to read and understand. And once you get into the hang of how to bring up certain, certain, um, menus or to, to show certain things, it's all really simple. It's all done by shoulder buttons and, and touch screen. So there's not a lot of like button inputs if you don't want there to be. You can do it all by touch My screen. My TV doesn't have touch screen. I'm playing on the Switch. I don't know what it does on the, on the consoles. Um, Plug into your TV. I can't. It's Switch Lite. I don't have TV output, um, which I'm kind of glad for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, really fun. Um, and it, like I said, it has that FTL vibe to it. It's like an exploring, like just exploring the environment, trying to find stuff, trying to find clues. Uh, working out what's happened where blues you are. clues yeah blues clues this is blue. um, one of the things I will say is it's 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 a very passive game it's like it's it, it's very much a game for people that are practicing just almost like mindfulness it's like meditation the music's really calm the whole exercise of doing it like exploring going from place to place because there's not a lot of graphical like information that's hitting you in terms of like um, prompts from what's actually on screen. It's mostly from what you scan and what you find. There's not a lot to differentiate different environments except for the actual topographic, topographic, topographical map that you work on. So you can see when stuff goes down, like when caves are there, and then like you can go down and then you'll be in another area. One of the really weird things, and they must, they must be loading all the data at once because when you're on the surface level map, it runs, it runs at like say 30 to 45 frames per second. You can kind of tell. It's a little bit choppy. Well, not choppy, but you know what I mean. And then when you go into one of the smaller caves, suddenly everything seems to be moving like at a clip. So is it loading all the data when you're on the surface for everything that's below the surface as well, or the entire map? And then you go into the caves, it's just loading the map for that cave. Because there is like a small transition that I'm guessing is like a hidden loading screen, basically. There's like a small transition when you go down. If it's a smaller like, area, there won't be loading as much. Yeah, that's what I mean. How strange. I mean, you just realised that. I was playing it for quite a while as well. Uh, yeah, really interesting game though. I think that it's the kind of thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to pick up for like say half an hour to to forty minutes a day just so I can do a bit of the story. Um, but it's not got it's not got that I need to know what's happening feeling. I think that's because you feel like I said you feel a bit like you're a passive person within this environment. Mm. 
Um, you can't have conversations. You just kill your human. As an AI, you can't have conversations with a human and like find him. out more from them. Kill him, then you'd have to worry about keeping him alive or anything. Um, I think the problem is that Logically. Because, you're an, because you're an AI designed to keep that suit going, you you kind of want an artificial... It's like an artificial desire to keep going. You know, just because that's your main function. No, nah, cold logic. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's really He's strong. Resources. It's really strong. Um, but I just I think that there are if you don't have if you haven't played FTL or or even Into the Breach. Into the Breach is a very similar premise, just without you know without the different planet. Into the Breach is a combat game. Yeah, it's a combat game with item management. You have to make decisions. You have to find out what works best against different enemies. It's a similar sort of thing. Like just a lot of different functions. It's it's what I like to call spreadsheet the game. It's a similar thing to that. It's you like can run games MMO. on the spreadsheet. Pardon? You can run games on the spreadsheet. Yeah, you can. Can you spreadsheets the code and stuff? Spreadsheets for D&D. Mm. days. <laughs> uh, I give it a Guy Pierce. Really, really fucking strong. Really, really great. Guy Pierce in Lockdown. Oh, I love Lockdown. Guy what, Pierce in like... Home and Away. Like the Neighbours or whatever it was he was in. I can't remember. Guy Pierce in, uh, Guy Pierce in Bloodshot. He'll <laughs> oh. <laughs> be in anything. Guy Pearce is, he did a really good film called The Rover, I think it was called, um, where he was opposite Robert Patterson. Robert Patterson plays like this bumpkin, and Guy Pearce is just a guy that's basically driving. They don't really tell you much about him, but he's, he's, his car is stolen by Robert Patterson's brother, who leaves Robert Patterson for dead. And Guy Pearce like, looks after him for a little while and says, you're going to tell me everywhere your brother goes? And he goes, why would I do that? And he goes, because he left you for dead. He doesn't care about you and you obviously want to kill him. And Rob Patterson's like, yeah, I think I probably do want to at least have a word with him. And Guy Pearce is like, well, then you tell me how to get there and I'll get there. And the whole film is, it's set in like, it's almost like a Mad Max offshoot. It's all set in Australia. Rob Patterson is playing an American guy and his brother's playing an an American guy. And it's sort of like the idea is that once all the water dries up and stuff like that, people are just trapped. Well, it doesn't dry up, but once like... oil and, and petrol and things like that become a commodity and they're in short supply um, it becomes really lawless there's less police the army are basically the version of the police in most of the towns they visit and they don't really act like they're keeping the law they're just stopping people from killing each other if they're like important um, so when like they attack an army base they're just like the army base is as exhausted of supplies as they are and they end up killing them quite easily because they're just the army are like no one fucks with us there's only three guys on this outpost and I think Robert Patterson just walks in with a revolver holding his stomach because he's still wounded. The whole film is like it's a horrible infected pussy monster by the end of this. Uh, but he's like holding his gut where he's been shot and he just walks in and he goes, he goes, you army? And they're like, they're like, yeah, uh, who's in, who's in trouble? How can I help you, son? And he's like, he's like, oh, I, I'm not, I'm not in trouble. You're in trouble. And they're like, what? And he's just like picks up the gun and shoots all three of them. And it's just like, it's almost like they weren't expecting to have to do anything. <laughs> And Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce is like, he plays a guy who's just like a guy trying to get by in that world. Is that your fourth review? No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I won't, I'll stop talking about the rover, but I do recommend it. But yeah, it's yeah. In other waters is really good. It's a Guy Pierce. It's a very strong game. I think that aesthetically, it's incredibly interesting. Still can't how, say aesthetically. Aesthetically, uh, it's really interesting the way they've done. They've done a lot with very little, and I think the plot is is getting to the point where I'm sort of hooked, but I'm. I'm not playing it for the plot just yet. I'm playing it to see how much more they introduce. But yeah. I think it's a very strong game. Go, Pierce. You're a yeah. Um, 
Picard. Oh yeah, how's that going? It's not good. <laughs> I watched it all within a few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Kurtzman is a plague upon Star Trek. He's a bad writer, really. He's fucking terrible. Um, like, like Star Trek Into Darkness has often been my low point for Star Trek. Yeah. And Picard has moments that get really near that, like really close to that level of awful. Um, there's some stuff that's nice. Let's say some nice things about Star Trek Picard. Um, it's the most expensive looking low budget show I've ever seen. Like, they do a good job of hiding how low budget the show is. Um, I'll get into that. But, um, you know, there's some neat stuff going on. Like, occasionally you get a little glimmer of a character mm. as they were. Like, Picard will stop and he'll talk to someone about something. Who's, you know, is it he'll Harry negotiate Treadwell? and stuff. Harry, Tread- Harry Treadwell, who is the guy who's sort of seducing the other the other girl. Well, You know, there's the two girls that are meant to be the daughters of Data. Oh. Potentially. I don't the know. There's some Romulan. On, I don't give a shit about him. The, yeah, him. Harry Treadway. I was expecting a lot more from him, but he's just really... Nah. Uh, he's, he's does stuff in this. He, he does sort stuff. sort of vanishes in the end of the last episode. Yeah. Um, but no, they basically, they got this whole thing. Picard meets a woman. She's like, he just instantly is like, oh, you're an android. You must be Data's daughter. And then she is blows it up. It's not quite that. No, it is. She's Data's daughter. Yeah, I know, but he doesn't immediately come to that. He pretty much does. No, he has the dream in which the date is painting. Yeah, and that's basically it. <laughs> like, oh, there's their faces on the painting. Look, see, the best thing that you can say about Picard is it proved that Patrick Stewart can't quite elevate everything. I, um, thought, that, I thought that Life Force came close to telling us that on he's Masterminds. Like, he's all like, yeah, we're going to go find her sister because apparently they're always made in twos, uh, in pairs, yeah. um, which has uh, never been a thing in... Star Trek, there was more than... there was. Well, I suppose they're just going with data and lore, aren't they? Hmm. Um, although there's B4, there was three of them. Whatever. Um, Whatever happened to Q? <laughs> anyway, he goes off to find the other one. He puts yeah. a ragtag crew together. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes three episodes for the first episode to finish. Um, and then like the crew's a bunch of twats, and everyone's twats, and they bring Seven of Nine back, and... Yeah, seven of Nine's like a... Seven of Nine's like a mass murder, murder and, yeah. and vigilante, and... I fuck it. I love the episode. I love the episode where they go through the whole thing where Seven of Nine's introducing she's on their ship and they're like they're like, Is there anything we can do for you? She's like, Can I borrow some of your laser guns? It's like, you're not gonna shoot those people, are you? No, Picard doesn't even do that. Picard's like, Oh, I know you're gonna shoot them and then he just lets her go. <laughs> and like two one scene ago he was convincing her not to shoot him. And yeah, like, I was gonna say. Picard wouldn't have stopped there. He would have talked her down from it. Like here's here's the thing about Star Trek Picard, gonna, like I'm uh, not a massive Star Trek fan. You don't know anything about Star Trek. I know a little bit so about Star Trek. for you. I know a little bit about Star Trek. And one of the things that I can say about this is I really want the prequel show where it's just Picard hanging out on his farm, like his vineyard with his, his dog. His vineyard burned down. Why has he got a vineyard? I want he- I want the precursor to this. I want it to be just Jean-Luc Picard trying to bring back wine. He fundamentally doesn't understand Star Trek. People keep talking about Cash all the time. There's like stuff like there's loads of characters who keep speaking different languages, and I get in Star Trek. There's always been a thing where people talk different languages, but there's universal translators. Yeah. So why make it a thing where a character speaking like Russian and everyone's like, I don't understand what this hologram character's saying in Russian. It's like universal translators. Everyone has them. It's like it's a thing. It's there's just- a reason that Douglas Adams introduced a, ba- a babelfish. Babelfish. Yeah, there's a reason he introduced a babelfish to um, to to his books and it was because that whole series he knew that they were going to be meeting aliens and so he didn't want to create a dialogue yeah he didn't want to create a new language for every alien so it was just like here you go 
Yeah, just a little nonsense thing to excuse it. But um, Universal trans- Translators have always been around in Star yeah. Trek. They had them I in mean, even Enterprise, which is the earliest it, point. Wasn't it in the badge? No, it's a thing on the ship. It just communicates through things and stuff. I thought they also magic. had them on the badge. It's or magic. was it in the... It doesn't matter. Really. It's magic. You just see it happen. It's just magic. It's space magic. But um, yeah, the, the show's weirdly mean-spirited. and mm. Lots of swearing. Um, yeah. Which was weird. Because Kurtzman's writing it. Friggin' the thing, I, t- I can't decide if it gets as bad as the end of season two of Discovery. It's like the first half of season two of Discovery is quite good, and then mm. it just goes massively downhill yeah. as it keeps trying to reconcile all the stuff from the was first he series. Part of the films, yeah, he did. He wrote, he, 20, he wrote 2006, didn't he? He wrote the two, 2009. 2009. Sorry. And he wrote um, Into Darkness, but he didn't write Beyond, and so, Beyond's yeah. the good one. Yeah. Well, 2006 isn't bad. It isn't the 2006 film. What? 2009, 2009, sorry, yeah. 2009 one isn't bad. Like, the 2009 one I liked, and it kind of... I think the way that his writing worked with the 2009 one was that every time that they were sort of doing something silly, they would cure it with silence, and they wouldn't suddenly go, well, it's silly that we can do this. They would instead just carry on with the story. Mm. Whereas in Picard, it's like, it's like, well, you would date his daughter, and then I, I took data, I chopped him up, because he was an android. No, he didn't chop up, Data. He has, like, the bits of... That's B4. You're not paying attention oh, to this. Oh, it's B4, sorry. Jesus Christ. Data gets blown up at the end of Nemesis. Oh, right, okay. And he has, like, he downloads his data into B4, and the idea was it was like, oh, there's a chance that they could How reconstruct Beta in this? Didn't he save all of the Romulans? <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> He didn't save all the Romulans. There's like this whole thing where it's like, oh, the Federation decided to not rescue Romulans because yeah. the androids went and nuts on the planet. Them. And then he went and against them and saved all the Romulans. So the androids attack Mars, and for yeah. some reason the androids attacking on, like, going rogue on Mars and attacking people led to them to ban androids, but it also meant they couldn't send ships to save Romulans. And I'm like, but, like, you, Why? Yeah. Like, why couldn't you send ships? To, like, so the you, Enterprise... Was it the like, Enterprise? I know there's, like, billions flying. of Romulans to rescue. It's a massive operation and everything. Yeah. But, like, one Galaxy-class starship has the capacity for thousands of people. Yeah, entire families, like, ecosystems... Is but the Galaxy-class ships, even if you had the full complement of crew and their family, it would still barely fill, like, one floor of the ship. Those mm. ships were spaced out, like... It would be in a ship the size of the Galaxy class ship, like the Enterprise D. The chance of you bumping into another crew member without it just randomly is really low because the ship would is massive. Um, you know, send a few, send hundreds of them. You could send hundreds of them to fight the Dominion War, the Deep Space Nine, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Like you can spare them for some Romulans. It's you know, it's just weird. It's like the the Federation abandoned the idea of peace and protecting life. And there's like moments where Picard's like, uh, you know, oh, they're protecting Romulans, no, protecting lives, and it's like that's a Picard thing to say. It's that's okay, but then a few episodes later, it's it's just like, oh, I'm going to go to this planet instead of going on with the mission because I want a samurai guy who can chop people's heads off. Um, that's because Kurtzman wants to see someone's head get chopped off. Alison Pill might be a psychotic serial killer, or might be taking orders from someone else. No, she's she's been showing things, and then the plot from Mass Effect comes yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, which it is straight up the plot for Mass Effect. Um, unfinished special effects in a couple of bits, I noticed. Um, there's a Shutterstock CGI robot that appears in one bit. Oh, yeah, that's um, that's a thing. Yeah, it just it is one of those things that just it's weird how it's expensive but cheap at the same time. Like yeah. the spaceship they've got that they they get on is one big room, and that's because they don't want to build corridors and separate rooms and stuff like that. They want to minimise how many sets there are. 
So it's it's one room, and chances are that's a repurposed set, I'd imagine. I've got a feeling it's the Section 31 ship that's been repurposed to be this, this whatever this ship is. It's just a generic. It looks like it comes from Andromeda or something. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of stuff, like, you know, they're inside the Borg cube, but it's it's all just generic rooms and stuff, and they haven't really... Why is there a Romulan, like, friggin' ritual room? He says it's an ancient ritual that we don't talk about and we don't really do anymore, but he has a room specifically for it yeah. on the ship with guards, guarding the room. And I'm like, I know he's probably lying to her and stuff, but she she seems to know everything about Romulans anyway. She speaks their language, which is a waste of time because Universal Translators. Yeah. It's one of those shows where it doesn't think about its own internal logic all the time. It's just constantly... One of the... Okay. Stuff. One of the series that this most reminded me of was was something like Penny Dreadful. What? Uh, I, I just want to explain. Oh, God, you're going to go off on a tangent for 20 minutes. No, 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 no I'm not. Like, Penny Dreadful was a program that was made, like, it was, it, it, it's a very similar thing. It's got a lot of, like, high-class actors, because people like Alison Pill, Harry Treadaway, you've got um, you've got Patrick Stewart, obviously. Seven of Nine comes back. Who is it that played Seven of Nine? Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan. And you've also got, um, you've got, uh, God... What? See, you're going off on a tangent <laughs> again. You haven't got any plan. You just want to say stuff no, 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 about no, 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 no. Penny sorry, Dreadful. Sorry. No one gives a shit about Penny Dreadful. But it's a similar series. No, with... it's not. It's not science fiction. It's not it's Star horror, Trek. But it's not. All right. It's fine. not a similar thing. Nothing similar. Anyway, I watched Picard. I didn't like it. I didn't like Star Trek Discovery either. Even though I really tried to. I think the modern Star Trek just isn't for me. Mm. I, li- I like old. I like the campy, the next generation, and, and Enterprise. I'm serious. Um, what was the weird one with Scott Bakula? That's Enterprise. Was it Enterprise? Yeah. So yeah, Next Generation. What was the one with... What was the one with um, Janeway? That's Voyager. Oh, here you go. Sorry. So I liked Voyager and I liked and I liked The Next Generation. I never watched never watched Enterprise. I heard good things about Enterprise. Yeah, Enterprise is all right. I think that Scott Bakula being in it probably adds points for me because I used to really like it. It gets better as it goes along. Yeah. Um... um but it's just it feels like that they don't they don't really think about any of the stuff they're Kurtzman doing. Kurtzman doesn't want to make Star Trek. Well, he doesn't want to write. Like the problem is you've got scenes where Patrick Stewart. You know you've got Patrick Stewart in a program. So instead of writing it so that Patrick Stewart is this dignified character who doesn't really go out and do like do action and shit like that, he's just sort of a voice in the sky or he's trying to like lead a team like a captain would. He fucking gets blown up in the first episode and, like, fucking runs up some stairs and yeah, shit. Yeah, he gets blown up, the bomb goes off, knocks him out, but he wakes up at home and not in a hospital. And he's fine. Doesn't yeah. have a broken hip. And, like, I kept thinking to myself, you could write this so that you can explain the parts where he's running and he's fine enough that by saying, like, oh, he's got a personal field generator and also he's got, like, he's, his clothes contain... No, they just like, replace him with a stuntman every time that he's running. <laughs> yeah, and they don't explain it. But um, no, there's there's all sorts of stuff where they're trying to save costs as the well. The whole of the the Borg thing as well really annoyed me because it's so easy to slap some plastic robot shit on someone's face. It was unnecessary say- as well. It's it doesn't serve a purpose to the the plot is like oh we need to say androids aren't so bad maybe the Federation shouldn't have wiped out androids and stuff. But like they don't give an explanation why they've taken that stance though. Yeah, because the androids did go nuts and they did kill a bunch of people, and yeah, there but, were problems. With but the androids. thing is, is, they used the excuse of the androids attacking to not rescue the Romulans, but they didn't know the Romulans were the ones who actually did the attack and just put a virus in the androids to make them attack people. Yeah, the androids wanted to control the Romulans. They didn't know that, but it's but then it's like, oh, the chief of security 
for the Federation was a secret Romulan spy. But why would the Romulan spy want to wipe out androids at the cost of the Romulans themselves? Yeah. Like, she, if she ordered the command for them to not rescue the Romulans, then, like, why would she kill billion... I mean, I know you say it's all evil bad guy stuff, but... Romulans, surely they'd be stronger if they had lots of Romulans and not billions less of them. So, why? Also, why? Why would? Sorry. Why would you make a plan to stop androids that involves wiping out your entire species? Also, when you've got a Borg cube, why say that you're sure that there are no more Borg? This is the last cube, and they didn't say that. I'm pretty sure they said at one point that they, no, that it's a Borg cube's been cut off from the collective. So just, if a Borg cube a, gets da- damaged and left behind, it's too far away from the collective, it gets cut off. Yeah, But why are they keeping it? They know so how they can, dangerous the Borg are. No, so they can experiment and find stuff out about him. That's the only purpose, but it doesn't serve anything to the main arc, which is, you know, humanity and stuff, and whether and these androids but can be... why are they letting the Romulans, a group of people that, you know, are refugees of a horrible situation that they caused, they don't know they caused it, but at the same time, it's dodgy they want it. It's dodgy that anyone would. But all those want Romulans it. that are on the on the vessel, they're yeah. all Talshia or Vashti or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um. They know that they did the the Mars attack. I know, but there's no like, <laughs> there's no Federation oversight. There's no. Like, no, because it's on Romulan space. They don't have any control. Romulans aren't part of the Federation. But Romulans don't exist except for the group they saved. They still have Romulan space. Yeah, but the Federation saved what remained of the Romulans. They didn't save hardly they're... any of them. Picard saved a handful, and gave them that planet, and then one off. He gave him a planet. Yeah, seems like it. I gave him a planet. This. That's what the planet they went. He went to. Was, I thought that, that was just somewhere was that they were like refugees. No, he took. They he helped. Well, the ones he could rescue, he took the planet and left them there, and then never came back because the Federation were like, "You can't do any of that now." And Picard quit the Federation. It was just nonsense. Um, it's not very good, is it? No, nah, there's all sorts of stuff in that show. Like it's getting a second season, isn't it? Yeah, but um, Picard when he gets on board the ship, they give him a hollow suite, which is his his office yeah. in his vineyard, yeah. which is so they don't have to build an office set. They can just use film all of all the meeting stuff in that set they've been using. Didn't we get a Lacutus flashback to in episode six? Yeah, they're still making out that Picard's traumatised by it when there was an entire series arc where he proves he's not messed up by it. Yeah. He wasn't lying. And the whole, I mean, like- the whole drive of the series is um, androids won't destroy humanity and all this sort of stuff. They won't replace humanity. They can be another form of life that's just as valid as any other life out there. And the entire point of the episode, Measure of a Man of the Next Generation, was that, which was the episode where Brad Maddox turns up in it. And they kill Brad Maddox in this, but it's a different actor. Yeah, they they had the eye thing, didn't they? No, that was a different character altogether. (laughs) There's three characters from the original series, only minor characters. Brad Maddox is in like one episode of Star Trek. Yeah. And they kill him. And they kill friggin'... um, Hugh, who's yeah. he was the first Borg that got de-assimilated. He was like seventeen at that the time. That was like, wasn't he? he was young. No, he was no, he's older. He was older. He was an adult. Wasn't he a kid? And they tried. To take no, him no, back that's to the one family. from Voyager. Oh fuck! Because yeah. they have a whole. They find a Borg sphere in Voyager, and they there's a whole bunch of kids. You can that, tell that I was only interested in the Borg. Seven of Nine was to... raising a bunch of kids. Yeah, they say yeah. they de-assimilated. Because um, Seven of Nine's arc in Voyager is that she's gradually finding her place in society and figuring out what she wants to do. She's essentially and by the end of the series, it's well, like, like she wants to join the Federation. But in this, it's like, like you have her see what's his face get his eye ripped out or the yeah. aftermath of it anyway. 
but that's happened after she's already become a mercenary. Yeah. Like, if that had happened and she was in Starfleet uniform, and you could be like, oh, she was in Starfleet and this ruined her, like, then you could say she goes off the rails, but she was already off the rails before then, and she's running around blasting everyone with... Yeah, that fucking... It's just... So... Okay, so I was obsessed with the Borg back when Star Trek uh, First Contact came out, because that was 98. Yeah, it's another one where they make out Picard's traumatised by being a Borg. Yeah, that was, that was like, what, that was six years after... It's 1996, Star Trek First Contact. Was it Contact. 1996? Okay, so it was like mm. two years after Next Generation finished? Uh, same year, I think. It's the same year. Um, after. But that's directed no, yeah, by... two years. That's Next directed by Jonathan Franks, yeah? Or Jonathan Franks, yeah. yeah. Um, I really like that film. I still like that film. It's all right, it's fun, it's fun. That's what I was going to say. Like um, Picard does struggle. It's a got that bit. brilliant bit when the Vulcans meet the humans at the end. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they instantly regret their decision. <laughs> I, I, I think my biggest thing about that is that's the first time that I've watched a Borg storyline in any of the Star Trek stuff. Because I, I did watch a load of like the episodes, like the well, VHS stuff. box set somewhere of Borg storylines. <laughs> but like, I found it really interesting that Picard it, in that film, it didn't seem like. Didn't seem like part. He was, ang- was like he was angry at the Borg. And he was having well, no, nightmares. No, like and- he was, he was pissed <laughs> off that they were trying to in. They were trying to fuck up time because he's a fanboy for the guy that went in space, isn't he? Well, Jonathan Frakes was. Yeah. Well, no. What I mean is, is that from Cochrane. Yeah, there you go. Is that from Cochrane? He was like forty years older than he was in the original series <clears throat> when you saw him. Yeah. But no, they that in that film they make out Picard's traumatized by the experience of being turned lacute. He was lacutest for like uh, half a day. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a massive deal. One of, the, but one of the things I liked about that was that he, the reason he was, the reason that he was challenged by it, the reason that he was so, the reason it like started bringing things up again is because up until that point, we didn't have the side of the Borg that weren't seductive, but human in any way. There was Borg Queens introduced in that. Yeah. That's and the, the Borg I've Queen seen. is the first one to have a personality and have reasoning Beyond mm. just like a Four queens are confusing though. There's a whole. Are there more than one? Yeah, like... there's multiples and they're the same person. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Alice... that makes sense though, doesn't it? It's just but like... then there was also another Borg Queen who wasn't Alice Craig, so it's all very confusing. Because Alice Craig is someone who was linked to Starfleet somehow? No, Alice Craig was the actress who played. Oh, right. Sorry. But Borg the person queen. that she was playing was meant to be somehow linked to the Enterprise, not the Enterprise, but the Federation. No, no, she was just. Just a human that was assimilated and somehow. No, I don't think she's even human. Yeah. But, she had a spine, though. Yeah, they're, they're a robot spine. Vertebrae. The thing is, the Borg aren't from human area space. Borg are from over in the Gamma Quadrant, yeah. which was where Voyager travelled through. Um, they only come out that far in space because they've got a whole bunch of transwarp portals that they can pass through. Yeah. There's, a, there's a network. That's how they get that far out. Mm. But um, no, they're not. most of them aren't humans. But I, find, I, I found it really interesting that in the film, like it was a case of she was trying to seduce data, and then she used yeah. data against Picard. Yeah. And that was interesting. Like, because although Picard never really treated Data like he was his best friend, like they make out in this, they make out in fucking Picard. Because <laughs> that's a weird thing. Like, he always treats Data with respect, but he's always, prof- like, professional with him. Yeah. And then in this, they're like, it, it, some scenes it looks like he's going to kiss him. Yeah, he wants to. <laughs> that's he wants to kiss him. But in... in um, he kept his head at the end. God, I fucking love First Contact. I'm just remembering now the, the scenes in which she's... She's upgrading his circuitry so he can have skin. No, she puts skin on him. Yeah, yeah it's weird triangle skin graph thing. Yeah. But the thing is, if there's any character in Next Generation that's Picard's buddy, it's Riker. That's the only one. And Picard is very much like, I'm the commander and I'm not going to think. Because there's a whole massive thing that he sits down to play poker with him at the end of yeah. um, All Good Things. Yeah. See, I know him Star Trek. You do. But friggin'. Wait, Riker was Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, I met him. Yeah. 
Um, I love the way he gets into chairs. <laughs> yeah, he's he doesn't do he's this. Do, does he not? Damn no, it! He's like seventy. He is. He is very. Have you watched mm. the thing where it's um, when you work from home for the first time mm. and it's just a collection of Jonathan Frakes asking questions mm. before mystery hour? Mm. It's like, have you ever ridden a bike down a hill? Mm. Have you ever wondered where babies come from? Does bad luck exist? <laughs> it's just like a list of questions that you Google. You're saying working. Who's this room. Picard series? Um, I just all they had to do was all I would have done. Because people live longer in the future. Yeah. Picard would probably be near retirement age at this point. Although probably not, because you've had admirals who are way well past 100 years old in Star Trek before now. Yeah. But um, I would have just had... It's his last tour of duty. He's retiring from the end thing. He's on a different ship. It's not his original Enterprise ship. Maybe he's got some mission to do. Along the way, he ends up picking up the old crew, having little adventures with each of the old crew members. You know, maybe even get Polanski back. Why not? That would be a random thing to do. Um, you know, and that would have been it, just like his last tour of duty or something in the last series, where he like like it's about his legacy and the things mm. he does and how he brings peace to different nations and all this sort of thing because that was his whole thing was his negotiating. He's known as the negotiating captain. Yeah, like I would have just kept him as a captain, but instead it's people getting blasted to shit and blood he and punches guts. Punches someone and, in the fucking face. What admiral friggin' like says fuck twice? Yeah, Picard swears and everyone swears and then. Like, that guy gets his eye ripped out, and then women get disintegrated. Uh, it's just... Uh, I know it has been gory bits in Star Trek before, but, you know, violence and stuff, but it had a point, mm. and this is just unmotivated. It's just it's just grim for the sake of it. Yeah. But it, none of it makes sense. The more... It doesn't hold up scrutiny. It's like Into Darkness. The more you scrutinise it... Like, do you remember in Into Darkness, where um, Spock's punching Khan in the face? Yeah. Because his apparently best friend Kirk just died. Yeah. And McCoy's like... Don't kill him, Spock. We need his blood. But if you kill him, the blood's still there. Isn't and also, hard? you had 22 other pods of super soldiers that you could have just opened at any time. Isn't that also whilst they're flying around on a garbage disposal? They're unit? on the back of cars. They're fighting on flying cars. Because yeah. apparently that's the thing. Do you remember the shootout between some stones? What? It was like the scene before before he just gives himself up. Khan just goes... I am Khan. He's like, oh, we're arresting you, I guess. No, they they arrest him. And then there's a whole scene where um, Kirk's like, who are you really? Because yeah. he says he's Gary something. And he's like, my name is Khan. And the music goes, Dern. And Kirk and Spock are like, what? Even though they've barely... Like, there's one mention of Khan earlier in the film. Isn't it weird that in 2009, they created an <laughs> original story in which they saw Spock and Spock was like, you're not friends yet, you will be. But avoid not becoming friends because that's going to fuck up the timeline. And they're like, okay, who's the villain? It's Eric Banner. He hasn't been in this before. He's a pretty bad dude with a mining ship. Oh, cool. And it's a mining ship from the... Yeah, it's a mining ship from the future that uses technology that can destroy a planet. So Mm. be careful. And they're like, cool, great, simple, got it. And then in Into Darkness, they're like... They're like... They want to do Khan because people have heard of Khan. Khan's back. And then... You had to read the comic book to find out why he was white. And I just like that whole film feels flat. It's because like, they people know Wrath of Khan. But the problem so they is wanted the, to make a film that was like the that. original series. Khan is in the original series before he's in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, he's in one episode, Space Seed. Yeah, series one, episode sixteen. And then he they don't make the film for another four years. No, the film's another thirty years later. The was film it? like twenty odd years later. The film's nineteen eighty two. Really? Yeah. Well, probably less than twenty years, about eighteen years. But yeah. Space Seat, yeah, same actor, Ricardo Montalban. Comes back and he plays yeah. Khan again. And, like... They did it because they wanted a character to shout Khan. 
And then they have that whole sequence where Kirk's like, oh, I need to fix the nuclear thing, like what Spock did in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And he kicks it a bunch, and then he dies of radiation poisoning. And the scene's awful because those characters haven't earned it. You know what? There was a really <laughs> interesting story with Noel Clark being being bribed to explode part of Starfleet so that they could cause... Oh, yeah, Noel Clark was in, in Starfleet. Yeah, Noel yeah. Clark's daughter is dying of cancer, and then... And That's then, an easy disease to fix in Star Trek. Well, in the future, yeah. They've got Elysium. They don't mention what um, Picard's brain trouble is in Picard. No, they don't. Oh, yeah, cold. Picard's a fucking android now, anyway. Is he? Have you not finished watching Picard? I remember, like, most of it, but I don't hmm. remember there being android shit. There's loads of androids in it. Well, yeah, I know, but, like, I don't remember him being an android. Did you not watch... Are you not paying attention? Maybe not. He fucking dies... Yeah, and then everyone's like, "Oh, it's so sad. He's gone now." And then the next scene, it's like, "Yeah, we put your brain in that android body thing we had, the bio golem thing, um, and we've made it so that you'll live as long as you were probably lived, and you don't have super strength for anything." But we just have got rid of the brain disease thing. I thought they were lying. No, no, no. They they made. A... I thought he was still alive. No, he's an like... android now. <laughs> I, I, when I was watching that, I was like, I was like. Oh right, so he's just collapsed again, and then like he woke up. They're like, they're like, oh, we fixed you, and that's what I thought it was. I didn't realize that they'd actually no. They used the golem thing that they were. (laughs) Oh god, that's and they went. They meant a specific degree to make sure that he's like, you know, not got any special abilities or anything. So why? It's weird how good Star Trek Beyond is. Why can't they just gone? Hey. We're a future alien planet, and we've got this crazy technology that fixes anything. You know, they had that little tool yeah. that could fix whatever they want. Someone holds it up to his head and just goes, fix your brain. Mm. And then it does some buzzy stuff and fixes his brain. Could have done that. It's weird how good Star Trek <laughs> Beyond was, isn't it? Star Trek Beyond, like, it's a Fast and the Furious film yeah. in space, but it's like... Isn't it Justin Lin the director? Yeah. But it's it has character moments. It has characters interacting in the proper ways. It has, like, McCoy and Kirk talking about how, like, their careers are going and stuff and how grouchy they are. Horror stuff, isn't it? You have friggin', like... Spock and McCoy hating each other, being stuck together. Yeah. Like, it's got all this sort of neat Star Trek-y stuff. Um, and it has a bit where they play Beastie Boys to destroy a shit ton of, like, drones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably one of the best fist-pumping moments in an action movie I've seen for well, years. They've got the teleport that's misfunctioning, like, and they're just jumping through different spaces with a bike. Oh, then that's not teleport. He's using the holograms. Hologram? Yeah. using the hologram, I mean. Sorry, you're right. God's sake. But yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. I've got it in 4K. I've got it on Blu-rays. I watch it every I now and again. I bought it for you, didn't I? I brought it. Did you buy it? Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Picard, it's not good. No, it's crap. I mm. genuinely thought that I had dreamt it that. It has, like, moments where I'm like, this is okay Star Trek stuff. Like, I like they built up to a massive final battle with hundreds of ships, and Riker turns up and then talks them out of it. Mm. And I like that the battle doesn't happen. That there's, like, there's a stalemate. If they had the battle, no one would win. They'd all lose. And it just sort of ends with... It, they have the whole big build-up. The only thing that bothered me was every single ship was the same class. They don't have that many of one type of ship. Mm. Okay? There's usually about, like, in a fleet of one type of ship, there'll be about ten. Okay? Not hundreds of whatever the fuck this ship was. The hang Ji. What's your favourite Star Trek? Like, what's your favourite series? Deep Space Nine, probably. Yeah. I like Jane May. I think she's good. That's I like Voyager. Oh. Deep Space Nine's Avery Brooks. And René Aubergenois and Cole Meany, Worf's in it as well. Yeah. And Terry Farrell. That's Janeway still, though. No, Janeway's Voyager. So who's the leader in that one? Avery Brooks. Who is Avery Brooks? He's the black actor guy who's, like, very Shakespearean. Yes! Fucking He's hell. fucking amazing. That's the one with the uh, Doctor that's a hologram. No, that's Voyager. Oh, okay. For fuck's sake. Martin Bashir's the Doctor. 
Deep Space Nine. In Deep Space oh, Nine. Oh, yes, he is sexy, sexy Malcolm man. McDowell's nephew. Yeah, sexy, sexy man. He is. He's a very attractive guy. Um, that's also the one with Quirk, right? Quark. 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 Played by... Armin Shimmerman. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he didn't yeah, I, remember, I remember his human face. Yeah, he was the um, principal in Buffy the Vampire. He was, so. he was for the first yeah. two seasons. Yeah, three seasons. Three it? seasons, and then he was replaced by the guy who turned into a giant I snake. know, Deep Space Nine's the best one. It's basically friggin' homicide life on the streets, but space. That's cool. It's a crime series, it's good. I remember Colin Meany being good in that. Yeah, he was yeah. in Next Generation as well. Isn't it weird that of all the Star Trek films, I would say that, I'd say that, Galaxy Quest is the best one. Well, <laughs> I'm joking, do I? Anyway, your last review. You've got five seconds. All right, cool. I'm going to review Resident Evil 3. Oh. Not the PlayStation 1 version, oh. but the new remake of Resident Evil 3. Oh. And how did you feel about Resi 2? It was good. I loved it. I played it through twice in the space of four days. Because <laughs> I, did, I did scenario 1, scenario B. Scenario A, scenario B, sorry. Um, Resident Evil 2 was a fascinating little remake because... It was completely redone with the new RE Rare engine, which was made for RE7. It looked spectacular, um, and they refined some of the story elements, and they just, you know, technology has developed over the last 25 years, so it was, it was a combination of all those years and all those refinements coming through. Resident Evil 3 is slightly different. So Resident Evil 2, back in the day, was like the big budget follow-up. So they had Resident Evil 1.5, which is what they originally intended to do. They scrapped that, and within a year, they had changed it to Resident Evil 2. Uh, Resident Evil 3 was meant to be a stopgap between gen- generations. They didn't want to invest a full team, so they made Resident Evil 3, whilst Resident Evil Code Veronica was a separate team being made for the next generation. Got it? They were working on Gun Survivor. Got it? That was the big next Got Resident it? Evil. So Resident Evil 3 was always the short... It was more, It was like a B-movie in the series, It was wasn't an it? action game. Yeah, it was never meant to be called Resident Evil 3. It was meant to be a side story that was just sold as a budget title. I remember initially it was 30 quid instead of 40, because it was like... I don't know. I don't know if I've still got the price tag on my one. And then they had the classics release was only six months later, which is odd for a game because usually a classics release would be a year later. Platinum. Platinum. Well, no, it was Capcom Classics had the red and yellow tape. No. Anyway, uh, so Resident Evil 3. So it was Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. The big draw was the Nemesis having an actual an actual um, antagonist. The ride from Alton Towers. Pardon? The ride from Alton yeah. Towers. Uh, actually, before then, because Nemesis yeah. was, what, 20... No, 2001? No, the Nemesis is like mid-90s. Was it mid-90s? Yeah, I used to live up there, man. Oh, X No Way Out is what I'm thinking of. X No Way Out the Nemesis like drink. When I lived in Burton-on-Trent, it was um, anyway. licorice and blackcurrant. Anyway. So, Nemesis. Nemesis. Nemesis was the antagonist in, uh, in Resident Evil 3, and the whole idea was he would chase you down. He'd hunt you down. You were Jill Valentine, when the last remaining members of Stars. Stars were the team that initially Dawes. they were the team that initially went to the Arclay Mountains or, or yeah, Arclay Mountains and, and destroyed the mansion that the Spencer Mansion which contained the virus, the, the G virus at the time. And the G virus was a virus that would cause necrotic flesh to mutate and reanimate and also would work differently in animals and other things. That's the history of Resident Evil. That's where we were in in, in nineteen ninety eight when Resident Evil Three was being released. Right? So Resident Evil 3, story of Jill Valentine, last remaining member of Star's original protagonist from Resident Evil, the original game on the PlayStation. She was back in the game. This time it was the story of her escape from Raccoon City that ran inco- it ran it ran alongside Resident Evil 2. So it ran concurrently with that game. So both no, games happen the same after it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it happens around the same time. And then the climax is at the same time as the climax in Resident Evil 2. Uh, is it? Yeah, it happens at the same. That's why the date counts down in the game. Uh. Um 
the introduction in this one were were a few refinements through a few uh, quality of life improvements. So you had a dodge mechanic, you had a quick turn, <gasps> and you also had the new Nemesis, the uh, the Nemesis quick choice moments. So you'd see the Nemesis, he'd come up and you're like, I'm going to fucking kill you, and you get to make a decision that would affect the final story. So it would it would change which way you went and so on and so forth. It was a smaller, it was a shorter experience than Resident Evil 2 by design. And it was, it was, you know, with those, with those improvements, it was more refined and it was an action game. Like you said, it was an action game. There were less puzzling elements. It was more action, right? It's all about shooting Nemesis with rockets. It was all about defeating Nemesis. And there were rewards for killing him at certain times because you didn't necessarily have to. You could escape him. No, you're supposed to escape him. But yeah. like, you if you play through the game quick enough, you unlock the, um, the rocket launcher with the unlimited and then, and yeah and I, I went through I did a run where I killed him every time yeah and, and you get you unlock the parts for the magnum that's like the best gun in the game yeah yeah because you get case A and case B uh, but anyway so and, and it had the mercenaries mode which is another nice little draw and it's the first time that appeared in the Resident Evil series it's big now it's in every single game except for this one and also Resident Evil 2 those remakes they've been they didn't get it. And also Resident Evil 7. Actually, the last three games, they, they've sort of avoided it. But right up until Resident Evil 6, Mercenaries was like a big thing. It was a timed game which you kill as many enemies as you can, you get some money. Um, they've got similar things, so Ghost Survivors was basically Mercenaries again. So yeah, yeah it's more, small scenarios where you had to go from point A to point B. Along the way, kill as many enemies as you can to get more time to get points. Resident Evil 3, the remake. So it's shorter. Yeah, get on with it. It's shorter. Just like its original, the original version, it's shorter because by design it's a shorter game, it's quicker, more refined, as I said. In this, um, Jill is once again escaping Nemesis and uh, the way that they've changed it is that they've tweaked and extended certain parts. So it's the same story. Jill needs to escape Raccoon City. The zombies are barreling in into her flat building and she just needs to escape. The T-Virus, which is the new virus, so G-Virus was mostly, uh, it was an agent that reintroduced life into dead flesh, dead tissue, but also would mutate plants and animals depending on their genome. T-virus, the tyrant virus, it was a virus that when injected, it would constantly mutate the body to, to, uh, better, it better challenge the, well, to better meet the challenges of the environment of the, the, what was happening. So the T-virus is what creates the tyrants in Resident Evil, so Mr. X from Resident Evil 2, but also Nemesis is part of the tyrant program. Nemesis turns into a big old blob. He does. Um, so you remember, you remember William Birkin? William Birkin injected himself with the T-virus. That's why he became William Birkin the big monster. Got a big why, eyeball. Yeah, he kept mutating. That giant eye and like his head eventually receded into his body like it took him over. Um, so the Nemesis, a lot of people have said that the new Nemesis, he's not wearing the jacket, he's not got the gloves and he's not like he was in the original. The reason is that um, in, in Mr. X... They introduced the idea of him wearing a limiter jacket. Mm. So, you know, the jackets that the tyrants wear and the hat and stuff. The, the jacket itself is a limiter. So it's basically just a piece of equipment that monitors the health of the tyrant and avoids them mutating out of control. It basically keeps the mutations of the T-virus in line. Once it's destroyed, they just go fucking nuts. That's why in Resident Evil 2, you see, like, he keeps his lower part stays normal. And then the top part starts mutating out of control and he gets, like, a big eye and, like, the weird pointy bits and sharp bits and, like, the stabby bits. In this, the nemesis is wearing basically what's like a sheet. It looks like bin bags. That's where they've just chucked together as much of the limiting technology as they can. And they're just barely holding them together. It's like a plaster on like a laceration on one of your fucking... If you, maybe if you cut like an artery and somebody came along and went, right, we'll put a plaster on that. And you can still see the blood seeping through. You're like, oh, fuck fine. Just pinch the skin together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's it's essentially like, what this is for Nemesis. That's what they've done. They've tried to limit the, the mutation. But Nemesis is an advancement of that in that they can program him. So once again, you've got this. We've got this protagonist 
who is being chased by the antagonist, Nemesis, and she's doing anything she can to survive. 10 minutes explaining that you get chased. I explained the whole history of the game leading up to this point and where Resident Evil 3 falls within the timeline and why it was created. You're getting followed by a monster. It's not a waste of time. And so what's interesting is Resident Evil 2 was a very long game. The remake I'm speaking about specifically here was a longer game. Um, it's about the same as the campaign for the original Resident Evil 2, I'd say, give or take. I don't know. I used to finish Resident Evil 2 pretty quickly. You reckon? Yeah, you used to about, about six, six hours. hours yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Um, with Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, I managed to complete the, the scenario B in eight hours. So I reckon with some more practice on it, I could probably get it down to six hours. But, you know, there's a lot more cutscenes in that one than there were mm. in the original. Uh, Resident Evil 3 anyway so it's a short game I completed my first run was only 4 hours um, and that's without looking guides without any of that shit that was me purely playing the game on medium difficulty I didn't go to hard I'll talk about that in a second because um, it made you cry no no no, no. Um, and, and I, I breezed for it there's no difficult puzzles it's really just that you go here oh that door's locked oh there's another way to go up here I'll follow that path I found the key I just go back now and then I open the door uh, one of the one of the things as well is the technology here is slightly different from what they used in Resident Evil 2. In Resident Evil 2, you could shoot someone continuously in the arm and eventually the arm would drop off or, you know, you could do more damage to the bodies of the, the zombies that you were fighting. In this, it's a little bit toned down, but I think that's because the environments are bigger and more open. So there's more going on in each of the environments. Mm. There's less zombie dogs. You only I think I only encountered two in the whole game. Mm. Um, and And... For like the enemies and stuff, hunters are back, which I didn't notice they were missing from the other one. I hunters are always one of those weird. Yeah, yeah, lickers are in now, aren't they? Yeah, the hunters and lickers are both Same in Resident Evil Three. No, 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 no. That's 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 not true. So you've got hunters are the one shot killers. They're fast, they're quick, and they can just get you. Don't like them. Um, lickers, lickers were always low damage, but they were quick and they could keep tying you up in silly attacks. And then eventually they had a one shot if you were down to like a low medium condition. Um, yeah, so zombies are back, all the monsters are back, the gooey monsters. You've got the insects now that take on a really weird, slightly hentai-ish vibe because they have this tube that goes down your throat, they lay eggs in your throat. Huh. Whereas before you got sort of like, you got one on your face and there was an animation that you were trying to push it away. There wasn't a big tube coming down from its arse and going into your mouth and laying eggs Sexy. in you. Um, but yeah, like it looks great, it plays great. Four hours is short for a game, but I, I'm seasoned vet in this shit, so it's just... Every time I'm playing one, I'm like, oh, there, there, there. There weren't any real challenge. There's no moments where I was really challenged by the enemies coming at me. I got a couple of cheap kills when I had two hunters and one of them scratched me and the other one was already poised to do their their one-shot kill. So I basically got scratched and then couldn't do the block to get out of it. And then the other one came up behind me and just one-shot killed me. And I was like, oh, well, fuck, that's that's what happens. Um, but yeah, all in all, all in all, really interesting story. You play as Carlos more than you did in the original. So it's like a 50-50 Carlos Jill sort of thing. Um, the final encounter with Nemesis has been tweaked, so it's no longer like a big embedded rail cannon. It's now you sort of have... Um, you're in the raccoon labs, and they've got an experimental weapon. And in a very, very cool, very anime scene, Jill lifts something that's so much bigger than her. It should be impossible for us to lift it, but it's very satisfying being able to fire this massive weird gun. It's like a light rail. So it's like a... You know the... Um, it's light. It's like a mag rail. You know, like uh, it's because it's light. A magra, so it's 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 almost exactly like a like a the cannon from before, but it's just portable. Well, not portable, but it's just something that she can lift. It's a railgun. Uh, it is essentially a railgun. Um, but yeah, the whole thing really, really loved it. It is short, and I think that Resistance, the side game, isn't a replacement for Mercenaries. I would have liked to have seen the Mercenaries mode come back. Mercenaries isn't there, isn't it? No, 
Sure it's No, it's not in there anymore. Mm. Um, which is a shame because it really was good. Like Mercenaries, you got to flesh out the stories of the, the um, umbrella the umbrella guys and you got to you got to have like a nice little time trial thing. It was arcadey. And it fit the schlocky B movie style of the game. Mm. Um, but this resistance is just it's not it I I couldn't I played it for a couple of hours, I hated it. It just wasn't very fun. Um, but yeah, I really recommend this, and I can see it. It's it's just like Resident Evil Two. Resident Evil Two went down to thirty quid in the space of a couple of weeks of it being released because it was single player mostly. Well, single player entirely, wasn't it? So yeah. I can see this being thirty quid in a few weeks, and that would be the prime time to pick it up because it's not a long game. I'm replaying it. I'm playing it through again because there are like things you unlock, so you can unlock the unlimited rocket launcher and shit like that. But you basically have to do little challenges within the game. So it's like kill 80 enemies with mag with the Magnum and kill 100 enemies with the assault yeah. rifle. and the Same pistol. as it was in Resident Evil yeah. 2. Yeah, basically. It's that unlockables, isn't yeah. it? And then in the end, you can buy stuff in the shop so you can buy like costumes and shit like that. And that's fine. That's fine. It's a nice little add-on. Um, but yeah, at four hours, it is short, but it is cinematic as fuck. It looks great. And some of the boss encounters with Nemesis, like the way that Nemesis changes now makes less sense than it did in the original. Because Nemesis in the original sort of changed... Changed so he was. He didn't really uh, change till the end of the game. He just goes he nuts sort in the of last did, half because you had the clock tower. He started getting the tendrils. The top half of his suit was ripped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got down to the sewer, and he was sort of taking a little more animalistic look. And then the acid turned him into the big worm because he went from the animal look to the worm look, and then finally you rail cannoned mm. him and killed him. Um, in this, he goes, he goes human looking, gets burnt up a bit, gets his gets his chest plate shot where his heart is. And then he mutates almost immediately into like, this big, like, dog-looking horse thing. And has, like... The character, the design is cool. It's just it's a shame that they didn't slow down the transformation. And he doesn't chase you as much as I'd like. You know, they're, like, there are predetermined sections where he will be active and chasing you around. Mm. But they don't last as long as... He doesn't feel as threatening as he did the original. Um, uh, but, yeah, all in all, I really enjoyed it. It's, there's more positive than negative... I think that it being only a four-hour-long campaign, for anyone else, that'd be five hours if they weren't used to the game, if they weren't, like... If they, they didn't play Resident Evil as often as I have, if they hadn't gone back into Resident Evil 2 recently, I reckon five to six hours would be how long you expect to play this. Because I completed it in four hours, it does feel shorter, but I was literally like, oh, I know where this goes, I know what I'm doing. It's that weird Resident Evil logic you develop over time. Yeah. You know, like in the first Resident Evil, you're like, oh, i got an emblem. I know, I'll play the piano. <laughs> And Resident Evil 3 is not as convoluted as 2. No. It's and also less the, backtracking. You what's really interesting is they've forward. cut out the worm from the graveyard. That whole boss fight's gone. Is it? Yeah. Mm. And also the clock tower puzzle's completely gone. Now it's like a side thing. So you can find the gems and they unlock spaces on the clock tower, but it's not necessary to progress in the game. Um, really fucking good train sequence, though. Like the first... The first... Well... So I'm replaying it now, trying to do a speed run. Not speed run as in, like, I'm trying to complete it as quickly as I can because I've already done it a couple of times. No boundary like, breaking. No, nothing like that. Again. Like, I, I'm literally, like, I'm giving myself every half hour or every key section I'm I'm saving. So the first part right up until the train escape I've saved. And then there's another half hour and it's right up until where Carlos is at the hospital with Jill trying to find the cure. So that's two saves and I'm 59 minutes into my run. Hmm. I reckon I can complete the rest of it in the next 40 minutes. Um, but yeah it's it's um, yeah what I was saying was the train sequence standout sequence for me is the whole first section it's not a spoiler to say that you are essentially trying to power the train so you can get people out oh spoilers I was hoping you wouldn't power the train 
So there's um, the first people you encounter, Carlos and the, the UBMC team, which is the Umbrella um, Military Corps. Their team basically are sitting on the train saying, we're getting survivors on the train and then we're going to ride them out of town. We're going to make sure they're not affected and then we're just going to get them out of here. Um, and so you power up the train and everybody's on there. And then immediately Nemesis is like, I fucked your train up. And it's like, oh, he really fucked the train. Like you see him. So basically you hear screaming and then you see like sparks and shit and they look through the window and you can see in the next cabin. Nemesis is literally holding someone and looking at them and he's just like, uh, uh, no. And they're dead. Like it's just literally just like, it just they're not stars. He's just like looking at them like scanning them like, no, nah, it's not stars. Oh, I killed it. <laughs> it's just on the ground. And the, the train, like there are sparks flying off. The whole of the train's ripped open. It's fucking incredible looking. And then Nikolai has this moment where he's just like, get the fuck off my train. And Nemesis is like, you can do. What are you going to do? And then, yeah, I won't spoil what happens, but it's pretty fucking great. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm playing for it again. This, this will be my third playthrough. So I did easy, I sorry, I did medium, hard, and then now I'm doing easy to do a quick run. Um, the thing about starting on medium, which I never do, I usually start up on hard, which is why I did with Doom Eternal. Because you think you say double hard? No, Doom Eternal, I think it's the kind of game that I want more of a challenge. If you play Doom Eternal on medium, it's probably quite easy in a lot of sections. I wanted more of a, more of a challenge from it, sorry, I'm burping. You always burp. I know, I don't know why. Right, probably because you've been drinking Coke and whiskey. Yeah, probably. Uh, but Resident Evil 3, the reason I didn't go straight to hard, the hardest difficulty, was because in, in Resident Evil, like um, they had reintroduced the ink ribbon system. So you don't actually hold ink ribbons to save. You just go up to a typewriter and you save. But I thought that there would be no inter, there, there'd be no intermediary save system, so there'd be no like autosave. Turns out there is kind of an autosave system. So you don't necessarily need to worry so much about saving as long as you're continuing the game when you die. Yeah. So I started on normal. There was a separate mode on Resident Evil 2, wasn't it? To have the old-fashioned way of saving. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I, that's kind of what I... I but auto saves were often you needed ink ribbons. Yeah, that's why I was that's why I started on normal because I didn't know if they still had that system or if they'd gone back to the old system. Cause mm. Like I said, I think that they're treating this a bit... It's full price, but I think they're treating it more like a budget tile because... They did add in, like, Resident Evil Resistance is completely separate on the menu on your Xbox. It installs Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil Resistance. Mm. So Resident Evil Resistance is like a separate game with its own list of achievements, so you can play if you want, but you don't need to. And Resident Evil 3... Like, even I deleted Resident Evil Resistance off my off my um, Xbox to save space, because I just didn't in- enjoy it. And Resident Evil 3 is still there. You can still open it up, still access normal. It doesn't try and install Resident Evil Resistance or anything like that, mm. which is good. I think that's the future of these sort of things, if they've got a side story. I did that with Crackdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, I've got both versions on my um, desktop. Not my yeah. desktop, my Xbox. Uh, but yeah, I really fucking enjoyed it. It's a Tom Atkins just because this, for me, is what I wanted. Um, but I can see why people would be disappointed in the length. I can see why people would be upset with It'll the lack the first of... time people have been disappointed in your length. <laughs> Look, I'm not the strongest swimmer. Um, but when it comes to... When it comes to these games, I think Capcom's doing the remakes right. It's just, I don't think... Like I said, Resident Evil 4 has kind of been confirmed by Capcom. Even if you're saying it's just a rumour, it seems like it's been confirmed. And Dino Crisis, for me, would be my choice for the next game for them to remake. That would be a better game for them to remake. Because Dino Crisis is chronologically the next game after this one. So it was the same year as Resident Evil 3. And it's the same system. So you've got quick turns, you've got dodges, you've got all that stuff. It'd be a natural... No, just remake friggin... Uh... Gaiden. Gun Survivor. Mercs. Mercenaries? Mercs. Wait, Mercs the Mega Drive game? Yeah. 
Not Mercenaries, the Pandemic game from... No. Okay, wrong time no. to talk about Pandemic. Or, um... <laughs> Son Son. What was Son Son? It was a Capcom arcade game where you had a little monkey guy. They keep remaking Resident Evils. There's other stuff they could remake. Onimusha. Onimusha. No one cares about Onimusha. That got a remaster recently. Go. You've had your fill with that. Where's my friggin' remake of uh, Gunsmoke? Gunsmoke? Bring it back. Bring back Gunsmoke. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. it's For me, this is, like I said, it's what I wanted. It could have done with like a little bit of like extending certain segments, but you know. Um, they would be at the cost of other segments, so I think they works. And it feels like you're watching, it does feel like you're watching a horror movie. Like, when it comes to the FMVs and the voice acting and stuff, it's really strong again. It was really strong in Resident Evil 2. Like, mm. um, I just think that Mr. X felt more like a presence than Nemesis. But why don't you hate the game? Because they gave Jill's classic costume shorts instead of a skirt. Are these, like, uh, this is like the kind of thing that the fucking quartering and people like that talk about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a scumbag. I don't give a fuck. I really don't fucking toilet care. Bowl the quarter in. Yeah, I don't. I don't fucking care. I'm not going to complain because an anime woman's wearing a t-shirt in the UK release. I'm just not because I don't give a fuck. I don't want to fuck a kid. What is it? What is that new thing? Lolly? Where, where is it? Not like, no, Lolita. Oh, right, that's, Lolita. Where that's where it comes from. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, but Lolly is the what? Jeremy Irons film. So Lolly is. So let me yeah, let me see if, f- f- fix that. Let me see if I get this Stan right. Because this is a new thing that I've. This mm. is a new thing to me. I've never. I've never. I've never experienced yeah, this before. Right. Lolly is where you have someone who looks like a ten-year-old, but they say it's okay for her to be sexualized because she's a four-thousand-year-old demon. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. Yeah, my my um my old schoolmate Andrew Blankey. <laughs> They found like those pictures on his computer, <laughs> the anime girl stuff, because it's illegal in the UK. Well, yeah, it's, of course it's fucking illegal. It's paedophilia. It's still images of children. Yeah, it's paedophilia. Yeah, I find it just fucking... he got he got in trouble. Not for that. He got in trouble for actually having pictures of kids. Yeah, but um, then they went to seize his computer, and there was that, and there was animal stuff on there. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, this is the world we're living in. Apparently, it's censorship not to have that weird shit in there. Like the age of consent in China is twelve. So. So that's why stuff's kind of different when it comes to the UK. Age consent's different, mate. And also, porn rules. <laughs> it's so fucking weird, isn't it? Like, you imagine the hills that people die on. It's like censorship. It's censorship. It's like, yeah, but it's the kind of censorship that means. Censorship is. Yeah. Well, they do because they are right saying it has been censored for a UK audience. But it's been censored because there's. It's are not been diff- censored because the government haven't gone, this can't be in there. Well, no, but the law is that you don't have. So, so if you take a character and in China they're a twelve-year-old girl and they've got under tit hanging out and they've got like a really tight bikini and tiny shorts that show the bikini line, maybe they've got a fucking camel toe in China and it comes over here and she's wearing shorts. Which that counters are that that you? I don't fucking know. That. So she's wearing shorts and a t-shirt and there's no underboob and all this other shit because that's a pornographic image. That's a sexualized image of a child. And they turn around and go, it's censorship. Well, technically, yes, because you had a sexualized image of a child in a video game. We've taken that image out. But you can still play the image. It's the exact same video game. It's just we've put clothes on a person that should have been wearing clothes in the first fucking place. And it would have had clothes on if it was made in the UK because we don't allow sexualized images of children. And they turn around and they go, I want my original video game. It's not the same. Import your Chinese copy if you want to be a weird person. Yeah. How funny is it that they have to import Animal Crossing in China right now? <laughs> Because it's being used for protests. 
Have you seen that? Because it sexualizes pants. No, because you can design your own gifts and people have made... Yeah, they never like anything. It's, <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Yeah, they, they never let anything with creation last long over there. No. Well, Tencent, um, Tencent are producing an Animal Crossing Switch. So it could be that Tencent create an Animal Crossing Switch that doesn't come with Animal Crossing. Mm. Which technically is what happened here, because that special limited edition Animal Crossing Switch didn't come with Animal Crossing, did it? No, it downloaded it. No, it didn't. Yeah, it does. does no, download code. It didn't, apparently. It does. No, apparently it was just the if Switch. if you had the Nintendo Switch Animal Crossing thing, and you had the Animal Crossing, because when, when you start the game, you get that Nintendo Switch console yep. sent to you. You're meant to get the Animal Crossing if one. If you had the Animal Crossing console, you get the Animal Crossing one. Are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah. But it didn't come with a copy of the game, apparently. No, yeah, it should do. People that were buying it said that it didn't come with a copy. Well, they're idiots. Well, maybe they are. Friggin' burning hell. <laughs> a lot of them. But yeah, so it's it's a weird Are you time. still talking about Resident Evil? Jesus. No, I gave it to Tom Atkins. I said no. it was great. Well, um, then fuck it then. Tell everyone to fuck off. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening, as always. I uh, hope you've enjoyed. We, every two weeks, as I said at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, and God, where can pass one. And people can find you where... They can find you okay. as LV54 Space Monkey on Twitter. They can also find you as Mellow Gaming, the most popular Mellow Gaming channel on YouTube. Mm. How many listeners have you got? Viewers now have you got? One. Hundred. Thousand viewers. You are. 340,094,375,000. <laughs> awesome. You can find That's me, number one. You can find me at Apocalypse on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, and anything coming up? No. Any new reacting senpai, sentai? There's always stuff. I, I just made... What's your other channel? Reacting Sentai Yopper Ranger. There you go. Keep an eye out for that. Give a shit. Fuck, fucking what? Cool. Cool. So it's goodbye from me and goodbye from... Anne? Yeah? 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 You done? Yeah, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. You don't want to say anything stupid at the end? What would I say? I don't know. Anyway, bye. What would I say? Would I say Trump is a racist and a pedophile? He's just going to get that, yeah. He's, yeah. 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 Yeah, clap for the NHS. No, clap for Boris Johnson. Tory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking. Some people are stupid. I say some people, most people. A thousand people died, but you know. But you know, at Boris least Boris Johnson, Johnson made it. Yeah. <laughs> Taking up those valuable beds with his fucking stupid ass. Anyway. Bye uh, to everyone. Bye Love everyone. you except Boris Johnson. Bye. Love you all except Boris Johnson, Trump, and anyone else who supports the two. Tories. Yeah, hate them. Bye. Bye.